Tropical hot dog night. Like two flamingos in a fruit fight. Every color of day. Whirling around at night. I'm playing this music. So the young girl will come out to meet the monster tonight. Tropical hot dog night. Like two flamingos in a fruit fight. I don't want to know about wrong or right. I don't want to know. Tropical hot dog night Like two flamingos in a fruit fight Like stepping out of a triangle In the striped light Well, there goes the neighborhood. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, on this April 9th, 2011, the Saturday morning, to another edition of Dave's Gone By. Not just another edition, but the 350th episode of this program, which is, <laughs> I said it last week, it's kind of mind-boggling. We started almost a decade ago. It was October of 2002 on a small station on Long Island in New York, and Kept doing them week after week after week. Took the occasional week off, and then uh, when we ended up moving to Colorado, there were a couple of weeks that went by when we were on hiatus, but we kept at it and built the show back up. We're um, doing it on the Internet for a while and then found my little new home, my wonderful new home, not so little, actually, here at the University of Northern Colorado in Greeley, which uh, is where... We broadcast from live every Saturday morning from 10 until 1, both on the internet at uncradio.com, and also if you happen to be listening at uh, in school and you live in one of the dorms, you can put on Channel 3 on your cable systems there and listen to this station all day, all night, 24-7. But also you can hear this program, of course, on Saturday mornings. Well, what is Dave's Gone By if somehow... You have missed the previous 349 episodes that we have done. It is a mix of comedy and talk radio and music and interviews and culture and all sorts of stuff. It's kind of whatever I want it to be, although we, we do kind of keep it in a set pattern just to, to let people know that when they tune in, it's not going to be three hours of hard acid rock one day and the next week it'll be, uh, you know, an interview with Henry Kissinger. We don't, we don't quite do it like that, but we try to mix it up quite a bit, which is what keeps it fun and alive for me, low these many weeks and years since we've been doing the program. And uh, very excited because this episode, this 350th, has again that wonderful mix of all the different things we do. First of all, we'll be talking with a legendary comedian, Someone who started in uh, the 60s, really, actually, probably the late 50s, and just kept going at it. He is still at it, has every bit of energy that he did 
from when he started. I don't know where he gets it from. Must be genetic. Uh, that's probably what he'll say. He's, um, well, well, what can I tell you about him? We're not going to talk to him for a little while. He'll be on still, though, in the, uh, in the second hour of the program. The one and only Pat Cooper got started on the uh, Jackie Gleason show, then played all the big nightclubs. He was in a couple of films here and there. You might know him from his rather crazy and wonderful in a crazy way, but also a little bit scary appearances on the Howard Stern Show. And most recently, he has written or co-written his autobiography, How Dare You Say, How Dare Me. He wrote that with Steve Garing. It's just been published by Square One Publishing. So very excited. I got to talk to Pat Cooper, not only for this program, but if you uh, want to see a little preview of the interview, you can read my monthly column in Long Island Pulse magazine. It's that glossy magazine you see everywhere all over Long Island. Really, really nice-looking mag. And there's a monthly theater column that I write. And you'll see that this month the column is about Pat Cooper because he's going to be playing on Long Island on April 17th at the Smithtown Center for the Performing Arts. So you have uh, another week or so to book for it and go see him. And once you hear the interview with Pat Cooper, I am sure that you will. So that's on Dave's Gone By. We also have another guest, uh, someone that I was asked by the radio station to, uh, to check out because she has been playing locally. She's actually a Colorado girl. Her name is Gabrielle Louise, and she is a folk singer in that really more traditional mode, it's really cool that last week we had Melanie on. If you remember Melanie from Woodstock and her songs Lay Down and Brand New Key. I mean, this is a woman who probably wouldn't exist the way she does without someone like Melanie in the background and, of course, Joni Mitchell as well. So I did check Gabrielle Louise out. She's a two-time John Lennon songwriting contest finalist. Uh, very, very busy and prolific. She's had five albums released since 2006. She's got a new one called Mirror the Branches, and she was just playing in Colorado yesterday. So it was very nice to talk to her, um, and we'll play some of her music as well in just a couple of minutes, and she'll be coming up very shortly on Dave's Gone By. Also on this episode of the show, we've got Inside Broadway, Well, we'll be doing some Broadway theater news. We had a huge chunk of it last week. Not sure we have so much of it this week, but stay tuned and check it out. Rabbi Saul Solomon will be here to talk about the news involving a killer whale. If everybody remembers Telecom the Whale at SeaWorld in Florida, he was involved in not one, but several murders over the years, human murders including one that was just over a year ago of a trainer. I mean, an accident, yes, but it is a killer whale. So Rabbi Saul Solomon is going to weigh in on this because Tillicum is back in action, back in the spotlight, back performing at SeaWorld. So <laughs> you definitely want to tune in uh, later in the show and check out the rabbi's thoughts on Tillicum, the killer whale, on his weekly rabbinical reflection. And last but not least, certainly we have a half hour of Bob Dylan music that we try and do every week. I think we will have time to squeeze it in on this episode of the show. And we'll be doing songs by Bob Dylan that involve the word master, because it is the Masters Golf Tournament 
this weekend. So we're going to be doing some masterful songs from the great rock folk master of them all, Bob Dylan. All that on Dave's Gone By. But let us begin. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Even more. There's still more. I totally forgot. I'm sorry. But on top of Gabriel Lee, Louise, Pat Cooper, Inside Broadway, Rabbi Saul Solomon, and all the other stuff that we're doing, Bob Dylan too, we're going to have a musical birthday tribute to Tom Lehrer, who turns 83 years old today. Happy birthday, Tom Lehrer. We'll play some of his music in a bit, but first we're going to hear some Gabrielle Louise and then talk to her in the neighborhood. She is a Colorado girl who is making a whole lot of music and also making quite a lot of sense when she talks about um, sustainability and a lot of organic stuff. Uh, She's really, really into that and really puts her time and effort and her energy, where her thoughts are on this. So we'll talk to her as well. Let's hear Gabrielle Louise with Save the Arkansas. I'm the daughter of the mountains, 20 years. I work on the river like so many here. The sons of the heartland, far downstream. Till 
culture, her sexual pride. Hey, I'm just as guilty as the next guy. I'm just as guilty as the next guy. When you think to yourself what a woman can do to you, limit yourself to what's attractive to you, we've got dark tone, the sack is off, and every time you're left made out, a jam is jumping flat out. Be a female, we're raised a few, we might do something that'll spoil our sex appeal. But when we aspire for more, that aesthetic altitude, some seem to think we've got an attitude. I know you think your hands are clean, but listen to me, I feel it. We've got a ways to go, we're not equal yet, but we're nowhere near it. I'd love to express my needs like a new get back to the point that I can follow. For example, hey bitch, go make me some food.
How is this for a review of a musician? Listen to this. This is from the, uh, the Gazette of Colorado Springs, Colorado, where they say that the person I'm about to talk to on the phone here is a deceiving package. Though young and beautiful, the guitar-playing singer-songwriter sounds like an older woman. Her pop country blend is distinctly adult contemporary in flavor and boasts mature lyrics. Lovers of folk music will appreciate Gabrielle Louise's strong voice, which she still uses, which she uses with equal success on stunning high notes and rumbling lows. Wow. You know, that, that's, that's a career-making kind of review right there. And it is all on behalf of the person that we are talking to. She is a two-time John Lennon Songwriting Contest finalist, and she has already five albums out since 2006. Her latest is called Mirror in the Branches, and she will be performing in Denver, in town, on Friday, April 8th. Her name is Gabriel Louise, and we are thrilled to have her here on UNC Radio. Hello, Gabriel. How you doing? Good, Dave. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Oh, that's great. It's great. So you are a local Denver, Colorado-y kind of person, am I right? Yes, I am a, a, a local Coloradan, and, and uh, very proudly so. I live up in the, in the mountains in Cold Creek Canyon and enjoy the sunshine. Oh, well, yeah, I can't blame you for that. And you're, you're still, even though you've been performing and recording since the mid-2000s, what are you, like 25, 26 years old? I'm... <laughs> I'm 25, yeah. Yeah, I mean, wow. How did you get started so early? Was it literally even before high school you started playing and singing? And how did that all start? Uh, well, my parents were musicians, and uh, my my father, I think, wanted to avoid me going into the music industry at all costs, which made me <laughs> want to go into the music industry at all costs. <laughs> so it was a it was a, an early on dream for me. And uh, of course, I think once he saw my obstinacy, he fully came into support of that dream. And, and having two musical parents support um, a musical lifestyle made it really tangible and possible very, very quickly. Yeah, it's not as if your father was, you know, a lawyer or doctor or something. He said, no, 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 no kick of mine is going to showbiz. Your parents are both into showbiz, in a manner of speaking. Yes. <laughs> How are, what kind of musicians are they? What do they do? Well, my mother's a music therapist. She actually studied at Colorado State University right up the road. Uh-huh. And um, and my father played guitar for a, a country singer for many years by the name of Michael Martin Murphy. Oh. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so both fabulous musicians and fabulous people. And um, you, on in your bio, on your website, which is, um, let me, I have that, gabriellelouise.com, you're, uh, one of the things you call them gypsy types. I mean, are they roamers and wanderers? And did they travel <laughs> yes. all your boring life? Yeah, I went to 12 different schools before I graduated high school. <laughs> Good God. We, we, we moved around a lot, yeah. But it was a really fun time, you know, and uh, I, I learned so much. I got used to making friends really easily and was exposed to such a variety of cultures and landscapes. And I really actually thank them for th- those experiences. I mean, because, you know, you talk to a lot of kids who are military brats, and one yes, of the things I, that they're coping with psychologically for decades is the fact that they no, were never in one pace, place for more than three months. I'm a musical brat. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So um, did you, when did you first pick up a instrument? Um, I think maybe, uh, well, you know, I think I was a little bit lazy, actually, because both of my parents played, 
so um, it wasn't until I was more like 15 that I decided I, I would like to accompany myself um, because as a child, they would accompany me, you know. Hmm. So um, at some point, I think when I was about 15, I decided I wanted to be independent. And that's when I started to learn to play the guitar. And I assumedly you were uh, very much influenced by the folk and country mode that your folks were in, dealing with My- Michael Martin Murphy and touring with stuff like that. But how would you say that your music differs from what you heard your parents play all those years? Well, for a while, uh, Dave, it really didn't. For a while, I loved all of the songs that um, that my mother had exposed me to, especially um, the repertoire of Joni Mitchell is still, um, uh, you know, the first record that you would pull off my shelf it might be a, a Joni Mitchell record. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and my father was a huge uh, avid fan of the Beatles, and so I carry those influences with me still. However, recently um, I started forging into new territory. That song that you just heard, Make You Remember, um, it tinges on a little bit of, uh, oddly enough, perhaps we'll say rap. Um, so it's maybe like a rap folk blend. Um, so I would say that maybe that's where I started to deviate yeah. from them, is just as of late in my uh, more recent explorations musically. Well, it's a question that I've asked a lot of the musicians that I've interviewed over the past couple of years of what's on your iPod. I'm always expecting very different answers from the kind of music that they themselves do. So are you listening to rap? Who are you listening to these days? Um, well, wow. I, you know, I listen to a lot of Gillian Welch. And mm-hmm. while I don't really play music in the old-time uh, genre, uh, I think that she's a fabulous songwriter and has such a great sense of musicality. Um, are you familiar with Gillian Welch? She plays with a fellow named David Rawlings. I don't know Rawlings, but I know a bit of Welch's work, yeah. But they have beautiful harmonies, and that's something that I've always really appreciated about music is uh, vocal harmonies. I think they really get you in the gut, you know? But you are, well, you know, it's funny. I was going to say you're a solo act, but at the same time, anybody who's seen you perform very often you're not alone up there on stage what do you have going on where did that whole idea come from of putting on a show uh, well yeah i mean it, it, i think it's a bit boring to always to always do it on your own you know so i try to keep a lot of variety in my presentations um more often than not, uh, you could see me performing alongside a fellow named David Reinhardt, who I'm sure we'll get to talking about a little bit later okay. uh, on as well. Uh, and David Reinhardt plays guitar and piano, and he sings harmonies, and he's just a wonderful musician and, and a wonderful songwriter himself. And so it's been really fun to collaborate with him over the last couple of years. Um, also, I, I love to perform in a trio configuration with a rhythm section, you know, bass and drums. And over the last year, I've fallen in love with the Argentine tango, and so it's it's not so odd that you might find a couple of tango dancers uh, dancing on stage to some of the performances. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. There's this whole idea of people come there for you know a typical musical folk singer country show, and then suddenly there's there's two you know tango dancers going around the stage. I mean, I think that that is pretty cool, and it probably is. I'll bet it's one of the things that when people walk out on the show, the first thing they talk about is, "Wow, I wasn't expecting that." <laughs> You gotta keep people on their toes, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I hope. I hope to. I hope to. I hope that life keeps me on my toes. So. But has it, it's interesting. You've been influenced and obviously fallen in love with tango dance and Carlos Gardel and, and, and I guess stuff like that. Has that influenced the sound and the the kind of songs that you write and the music that you make, or is it still sort of separate? You know, you'll do your stuff and then the tango thing is you'll do a tango a more traditional number. 
No, I think it's definitely started to um, to to bleed <laughs> through, you know, over the uh, the border. Um, I just the other night uh, had the great pleasure of performing for um, a room full of dancers. So it was an Argentine social dance, and uh, I had been really doggedly preparing these three classic Argentine tango songs. Um, I spent a little bit of time in Argentina this last uh, month studying those, oh, and. Wow. Um, and, 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 yeah, so, you know, I've started to kind of verge into that repertoire, but also using some of those very rich, colorful harmonies in my own songwriting and, and being able to perform some contemporary folk music that has um, enough, you know, rhythmic similarities and, and melodic and harmonic similarities to be able to dance the Argentine tango to them, although they, they are original and maybe more in the folk genre. Oh, cool, cool. And as, as someone who's been to Argentina many years ago and, and actually witnessed a couple of uh, tango things, you know, I'm not a dance person, so I would see it and go, okay, that would look good. And then we would be with people who considered themselves experts, and one couple would get on the dance floor and they'd go, oh, oh, that was fabulous. And then the next couple, they'd be like, ah, no, they're, they're not so great, and they're kind of amateurs. And I would not remotely see the difference. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You know, um, yeah, it's it's true. It's a beautiful dance, and I think as an outsider looking in, um, maybe what you mostly pick up on, um, myself included, you know, I'm, I'm a beginner. Uh, you know, just the last couple of years, I started getting into both the dance and the music. Um, and I think predominantly what you find is this beautiful uh, intimacy between the dancers. Um, it's an improvised dance where, in every moment, it requires ultimate attention from from both the lead and the follow. And so I think as an outsider peering in, you kind of just see that intense focus. And uh, hmm. and it's beautiful, irregardless of the dancer's level or skill set. Cool, cool. But let me ask, you know, you, you're going, you're doing a lot of touring in a lot of different uh, places. As, as I mentioned, you're going to be here uh, back in Colorado on April 8th. But the fact that you want to, you are being a musician, you're putting out records, how much of this do you have to do all yourself? It's not like you're backed by a major label. And how much do you have somebody else dealing with booking your tours, doing the promotion, making the CDs, or, or producing and stuff? How, you know, what percentage of your, of your time is uh, put towards all these different things that a musician has to do? Um, all of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do actually book yeah. yourself as well? No, I'm very blessed to have different apartments, Where? but mm-hmm. uh, you know, at the end of the day... Um, it's much more than a full-time job. It's like a life passion, you know. And every once in a while I gripe and I get sick. And, and I woke up a bit under the weather this morning from working really hard this week. And But um, but I'm really pleased to be able to do something that I care so deeply about. And I think that it's it's worth it, the, the hard work on the back end. Because, I mean, you're following, every, everybody's following that model now. I mean, people who were on major labels 15, 20 years ago are really in the same boat. They are also... Uh, having to get their own CDs done, having to go out there, get booked, tour themselves, get on the bus, whatever it is, and and do it. So at least it's it's not that big dichotomy between fairly well-known singer-songwriters and performers and folks who are a bit more just starting out. So at least you're you're kind of in that same boat, you know. I yeah, think. yeah. Um, the phone broke up just a little bit there, but I, I caught um, the end of it, and I, I think I do agree with with, with that sentiment. And you must be pretty prolific because you have five CD. Well, one of them was an EP, so we'll, we'll call it yeah. four and a half uh, CDs yeah. since 2006. I mean, 
is are you constantly writing songs? Is that the deal? No, I mean, I do write a fair amount. Uh, one of those records also is a live record. Ah, okay. um, so it was a recording of a live concert. Um, but I mean, yeah, I absolutely love to, to write songs, and I'm going to spend as much time as I can devote to it, um, you know, doing that. And, and of course, it is a balancing act from, you know, when you're in the headset of organizing tour logistics, it's it's more difficult to get creative than when you don't have anything else to attend to. Um, lately, I've been focused on, on writing co-writing uh, with my partner in crime, uh, Chris Carr, uh, a theatrical concert. It's, hmm. it's very similar to a musical. Um, now, this is a different... Uh, Sorry. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, this is a different fellow from uh, Ryan Reinhardt that you mentioned earlier. Chris Gar, did yeah. you say? Now, Chris partner in Gar. crime, is this your, your personal partner in life or what, or not? Yeah, yeah, he's my personal partner in life, and he's also the, the co-writer of this... Um, musical called The Muses Market that uh, we've both been working on. And David Reinhardt is also featured in The Muses Market. Um, I would say that the three of us really all had a, a creative hand in it. It features David Reinhardt's music, uh, my music, mm. and Chris Carr um, is a sustainability speaker. And so it incorporates his mental philosophies and ideas. And we sort of toggle between music and um it's entertainment, but it's also education. And we've also incorporated poetry and com- commissioned a fine artist to create art pieces that serve as characters in the show as well. So, um, like hundred words or less, because you're, you're you're giving an idea of what the show is about. But what exactly is the idea of Muse Market and this whole sustainability thing? So, the Muse's Market is our attempt a modern day Chautauqua. Um, being that we we aspire to travel from town to town and present ideas, music, fine art, and poetry in uh, in listening spaces. Um, the Chautauqua was a popular concept in the 1920s and was kind of phased out uh, with the advent of radio and television. But we feel that there's a disjunct um, uh, between what television can provide and what people um, are desiring to to experience today, and so we're hoping to provide some kind of old-school 1920s inspirational sustainability-themed entertainment. Well, again, also keeping on with this whole sustainability thing, is there something weird, or not weird, but something different about your touring van? (laughs) Yeah, there is. We um, we've outfitted to run to run on uh, alternative fuels, uh, specifically biodiesel from a waste vegetable oil source. No, um, okay, really stop right there. Stop right there. Let's take okay, this right okay. from the very beginning because gas prices are going to go up to to probably four dollars, and people will be like, "Wait a minute, I can power my vehicle perhaps on vegetable waste? How? How?" Well. How? Yes. How? Um, you can uh, take any diesel engine. Uh, the diesel engine was actually originally invented to run on peanut oil, which is a, a vegetable oil. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can uh, take it through a simple conversion so that it can run on waste vegetable oil. The exciting thing about that concept is that waste vegetable oil is a recycled fuel. It's something that comes out of the back of a, a restaurant after it's been used in a fryer to fry french fries or um, egg rolls or yeah. any any food like this. And uh, instead of having it go into the garbage, it can be recycled and go into the gas tank. Um, and very typically, restaurant owners will donate it to you. Um, 
and and sometimes uh, you know they'll they'll charge, but in the ballpark of maybe a dollar a gallon, not four dollars a gallon. Um, and, and so of course the economic benefit is tremendous, but right. beyond that, it's a carbon neutral fuel. So you don't contribute to the carbon cycle when you burn it, uh, and beyond that, it reduces emissions by eighty percent. So no. there's a huge environmental benefit. So when you, you turn on your van, right, and you get the, the, the motor and the engine going, I mean, does it smell like salad? <laughs> a lot of people ask this. Um, no, actually it doesn't. And, 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 and the fume, I mean, if you're in the business of sniffing tailpipes and you were to Oh, uh, I was sniffing example, tailpipes like, uh, when I was younger. There you go. <laughs> yeah, oh, it was good yeah, stuff. Like, like if that's like a hobby and you were to smell a, a diesel <laughs> engine, um, you probably wouldn't enjoy descent. Um, if you were to smell a, a, a biofuels uh, tailpipe, <laughs> you know, it, it might reminisce slightly of, of, of fuel, but you'd really have to get back in there and up in there to, to experience that. Well, actually, so. regular gasoline doesn't really have a smell. They put smell in there just to keep people from accidentally immolating themselves. You know, the, the actual fuel itself is, is odorless. Well, I didn't know that. You're educating me. This is right. Well, you're educating me on the, this whole idea. So, but to take, you you got a regular van, right, with a regular engine. What did it take to convert the thing so that it would run? I mean, if you were to just pour vegetable oil into a, a car, you're going to kill your car. So how did you right. get it converted? Well, um, there, there's a couple of answers to that question. The first one is I, I do want to say that you can run biodiesel in any diesel engine with no conversion. Um, if you could buy biodiesel that's made from a waste vegetable oil source locally at bi different biodiesel co-ops, and then that saves the whole work of having to convert your engine. And so it's a really recommendable um, solution and get the majority of the benefits that we're talking about. Um, the fuel is going to cost a little more because somebody's taken the time to process it for you so that you can put it directly in your engine. On the other hand, if you, if you are interested in outfitting a vehicle to run in straight waste vegetable oil. Um, essentially what you have to do without getting into like, you know, boring tech talk uh -huh. is waste vegetable oil will congeal if it gets too cold. So you need to make sure that the fuel stays hot enough to flow through your fuel system and to flow through the engine. So the way that you do that is by just simply rerouting the coolant lines so that um, they can keep that fuel warm and from congealing. Even, well, if you start your car, I mean, if you leave your car overnight in, in Colorado or Wisconsin, doesn't it just congeal? Um, yeah, it will. So, for example, in our vehicle, we've got uh, a heater. We have to heat up the, turn on the heater five minutes before we're going to start the car hmm. um, so that that fuel system gets nice and hot before we try to go ahead and turn over the engine. Is it, if, if people were to do this in a large way, you know, millions or thousands, millions of people were to do this. Would it be sort of like this corn thing that, that George W. Bush was pushing a, a couple of years ago um, where it seemed like a great idea and, and a way to get away from dependence on Arab oil, but it actually was not economically feasible? Or is there a way that this could actually be something that millions and millions of people do as long as lots of people are eating, you know, or, or eating salads and having restaurant grease? Right. Well, um uh, again, the, the fuel comes from, uh, it's canola oil, so it's what you might fry french fries or um, like an egg roll in. Um, but to answer your question, which is a, a great question, we get it all the time, um, I believe that we're entering into this kind of new era 
where um, there's not going to be a one-size-fits-all solution for um, the problems that we're facing as a society. Waste vegetable oil isn't going to be um, that to say, a one-size-fits-all solution. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I don't think that that means that we shouldn't try to reduce our carbon footprint, you know, that we shouldn't try to be a piece of that puzzle. Um, and, and I also want to say that it's it's very distinguishably different from corn because the biofuel that you create from corn is actually called ethanol. Right, and, um, ethanol, that's the word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. So it's actually a different biofuel altogether. It's made through a different process. Um, and And I do feel... That, um, the, the, so the ethanol thing is kind of a different conversation, but oh. as it pertains to waste vegetable oil grease, I do feel that it will not work for millions of people. But what it does do is pave the way, um, psychologically speaking, for, for those that can, um, the amount of supply that there is. Waste vegetable grease would just go into the garbage can, um, the amount of it that currently exists. So there's no reason not to use that as a fuel source. Can I ask um, you one one question? It sounds like a silly question. It is a silly question. But yeah, you know, I've heard for years that Indians use dung to, to cook with. Is there no way to use poop to, to run things? There's so much oh, poop. Goodness. Can we use cow waste, human waste? It would not smell good, but but like again, I live in Greeley, so I'm used to it. Why not? Why not poop? I, I wish I, I wish I had a, a answer for you there. I am I'm running out of expertise here. <laughs> but we need um, to get it, Ed it Begley Jr. Like working on that or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah. we're, we're talking with Gabriel Louise. I, I think I should mention that. I, it, we've gone from music all the way to these alternative fuel sources. So let's get back to your career and the music and, and the fact that you do a lot of concerts and touring all over the place. Any great anecdotes and stories from your years on the road, young as you are? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the, the most... My favorite part of my job is is the touring and meeting so many different colorful characters along along the way. You know, you get done with a show and there's there's some outrageous person there waiting to host you in their home and, and tell you their life story and, mm. and, and, you know, potentially be the subject of a new song because they're so fascinating and wonderful. Um, I don't know, maybe my favorite tour story. Well, I'll tell you one that we were musing on this morning over breakfast. Uh, mm-hmm. We were remembering trying to, to find a hot spring, you know, in between gigs. It's it's always nice if you have some downtime to look up if there's a, a hot spring. And so we had found one in California, and uh, and we had spent two hours driving over this mountain pass in, in an attempt to, to get to this hot spring that some, some hosts of ours had recommended to us. And after um, driving on this treacherous, dirt washed out road through the mountains past like geothermal plants and all sorts of kooky sites uh we came to a gate and and the guard there at the gate said no all this all this land is 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 you know governmentally owned and you can't you can't drive through here you're you're gonna have to go all the way back down all the way around the mountain and you know we'd been we've been already driving for a couple of hours and we were at probably only three miles from the hot spring it was just on the other side of this of this gate and uh, <laughs> so we thought, oh, okay, well, you know, we, we've been we've been looking for it this long. We'll do it. And so we drove all the way around the mountain, and we arrived at the hot spring. And it was kind of a a, a new agey hot spring. And it was turned out it was a, a nudie hot spring. And it turned out when we when we walked in, it was little did we know the the full moon. And they were having this full moon ceremony where nobody was speaking, but everybody was kind of howling at the moon. And we thought, look what we found. This <laughs> is fascinating. And did you actually get naked and howl at the moon? 
What a question for the air. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, we did not howl. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I know with half the other one. Well, I'm sorry, what was that? <laughs> I said, and then we proceeded to the next gig. You know? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess after all those years, after stuff like that will happen. I, I, that's part of the joy, I guess, uh, the the scrapbook of memories of, and the unusual things that go on. Yes, absolutely. It's like you remember the, the oddest experiences. Maybe not the best and maybe not the worst, just the oddest. Hey, can I ask, because you've not only been doing your music for five, six seven years or so professionally, but because you were also with your parents all those times touring, any encounters with idols or real famous singers, celebrities, people that you, uh, that you recall? <laughs> yeah. Um, my parents used to have me backstage at, um, my, as I mentioned, my dad worked for this country singer named Michael Martin Murphy and, right. um, Michael Martin Murphy hosts this festival called West Fest. I'm not sure if, He's still doing it. My father's since retired. But um, when I was a kid, I remember I would kind of run around backstage, and they'd introduce me to all sorts of characters. And, you know, of course, I had no idea who anybody was. Um, <laughs> I was a cute, barefoot hippie girl running around backstage, so <laughs> oblivious to whatever um, politics were going on above my head. But um, I remember one time as an adult, uh, I met the fiddle player that played with Joni Mitchell, and to me, that was incredible because Joni Mitchell is, is, is like the deity in my universe, you know, so <laughs> so that was cool. I, I, but have you sung with any uh, people? Have you gotten up on stage and uh, or something like that, or not not quite yet? In um, no, I've had I've had the honor of opening for a number of people that I really respect. Um, Guy Clark oh. and Richie Havens both um, both uh, have paved the way in, in, the, in the genre that I'm in. Oh, you know, if you can, if uh, off the air, if you can get me a contact number for Richie Havens, because I would love uh, to to get him on the show. We had Melanie on here just last week, so um, you know, I'm, I'm in sort of that Woodstock feeling mode. So it'd be oh, great cool, to, cool. to talk to Richie. Yeah, Richie, like I know him. But what, was he a nice yeah, guy? Well, yeah. <laughs> I could I could get you his manager's number probably. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be that'd be great. I would love that. Um, so can I ask? And I, I also ask this question of a lot of songwriters so i'll ask you gabrielle louise when you've written a song can you t is there an internal meter inside you that tells you it's really special or or good or just okay or you know good for now but it wasn't really what you wanted or do you have to wait for the audience to tell you wow what a fabulous question dave oh, um, thank you. i i I think it's so different every time that you write a song, where you are psychologically, where you are emotionally. You know, maybe you're writing that song because you're in a low place, or maybe you're writing that song because you're in an exciting uh, headspace and you're traveling and everything's new. And You know, um, there's so many different circumstances from which creativity is born. But I think that, by and large, um, when you write a song, if you're kind of humming it all the time, you know, like almost like it's stuck in your own head. Um, it's something called the hum test. I remember reading uh, in a songwriter book at some point. Mm. Um, and I think that that's a really valid um, thing that you have to tune into and listen because listen to, because if you're, if you can't stop singing your song, you know, probably other people, it's likely that they'll enjoy it. Um, for me, I know it might sound a little harsh and a little hard, but I think I've arrived at a place where um, I want to share joy with the audience and I want them to enjoy what I'm doing, but I also don't want to um, put a stop to my own creativity. So if I see the validity in, a, in an idea, um, I'm probably going to choose to pursue it um, 
and 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 then how it's received is just how it's received. Uh, hopefully, there's an audience for it somewhere. Do you get shy or embarrassed? I mean, when, once you've written a song, uh, is the first person you play it for, uh, Mr. Gar uh, Carr? The, Mr. Gar, yes. <laughs> is, is it Carr with a C or G with or with uh, a G? Gar with a G. It is G-A-R-R-E. G-A-R-R-E. Yeah. Um, so is he the first person you always turn to, or sometimes do you hold it for yourself and wait for, or you just do it cold in front of an audience for fun? What's your procedure? Well, I usually do run it by by somebody you know, you know, I, you know either my partner or, or a close friend or a musician I respect, um, because I, I always get terrified that like, you know, what if the song is already written and I'm accidentally ripping somebody off and I don't <laughs> know about it? You know, there's always always that process of of kind of making sure that I that I haven't actually been. Um, uh, forging into copywritten material. You can, you can just uh, call that folk sampling <laughs> nowadays. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, cool. Well, Gabriel Louise, let me tell people a couple of things. First of all, if they're interested in your music, and, and you have a really wonderful, well-put-together website. I don't know if you do that yourself or if, or if you have a webmaster. Um, well, whoever it is, it's real good. So, Thank you. Uh, go to Gabriel. Louise, and it's I-E-L-L-E on Gabrielle. It's a, a female name, GabrielLouise.com, and you can hear a couple of uh, songs on there, lots of really nice pictures. Uh, you've got a blog on there, Press Kick, and also all that information we were talking about uh, regarding sustainability and, and doing things to help the environment but still make your automobile go, <laughs> and, you know, livability and sustainability at the same time. And at the same time, if you want to see and hear Gabriel Louise in the flesh, you've got to be there April 8th. Uh, what time does that start? It's going to start at 7 p.m. Uh, we're going to have local food provided, so the actual show will probably start closer to 8. Um, but we've got a local uh, foodist and nutritionist that's going to create some really delicious um, uh, things for us to eat first. And this is called the Muses Market. It's in Denver, but where? It's at Aaron Johnson's Antique Warehouse, and the Muses Market is a sustainability-focused theatrical concert. Oh, so that's the actual name of the concert, right. It's called the Muses Market in Denver at Aaron Johnson's Antique Place. Uh, I guess, again, that'll be on your—I'll make sure it's on your website. Should be. All the, well, your yeah. tour information is all there. And you will yeah. also be coming back to Colorado. Let's see. You're going to be in— Oh, you have it in reverse order. That's kind of interesting. You'll be at the Salida Cafe in Salida in July in Westcliff. So you so you do circle back to your home state now and again, which is kind of yes, cool. Yes, absolutely. It's my favorite place to be. <laughs> well, it's it's been great having you in our place at University of Northern Colorado Radio. Wishing you best of luck with the concert on April 8th. Wishing you also wonderful luck with your music and everything that you're doing. And thanking you, Gabriel Louise, for your time. Dave, thank you so much for having me. It was coming on winter She blew in from the sea Like a hail bent fire In busted jeans And it wasn't worth asking where she was from Cause that line could kill a man With one slip of her tongue She would say Hey, yeah Life is a journey Oh, I'm taking the long road 
Title track from her album, Journey, that's Gabrielle Louise. I'm very happy to have her journeying to the neighborhood on this April 9th, 2011 for my show, Dave's Gone By. And also for this radio station, the University of Northern Colorado Student Radio, which you can hear on uncradio.com and on Channel 3 in your dorm room TVs if you're going to the school here and living here. Anyway, uh, before we get to the rest of the program, we're here until 1 o'clock on this Saturday. And reminding you, among the things that we're going to be doing uh, on the rest of the show, 
Those include talking to legendary comedian Pat Cooper. We're going to play some Tom Lehrer songs because it is Tom Lehrer's 83rd birthday. We're going to hear some Bob Dylan songs as we do every week uh, where we play about a half hour of his songs with uh, this particular set list having to do with the Masters. You know, the, the Masters golf tournament is going on, so I figured let's play songs that involve uh, the word master because he has quite a few of them. It's a, it's a big word for Bob. And also, we will have Rabbi Saul Solomon here giving his rabbinical reflection on Tillicum the Killer Whale. But before all that, we have a little business to do, and then we'll get to Inside Broadway, where we'll be talking about Broadway news and uh, some, some stuff I wanted to talk about, about things going on in New York theater, where I'm actually going to be next week, by the way. Our show is going to be preempted on April 16th, next Saturday, because I will be back in my old home state uh, where I lived for the first 40, what was it, 45 years of my life. So I'll be seeing a bunch of theater there, and we'll be ready to report back on that when we do our next show on April 23rd. But before we get to Inside Broadway, got to do a bit of uh, station and show business here, reminding you that programming on UNC Radio is brought to you by AF Rays. They're finally doing 18 and up on Wednesdays, so don't overpay at the other bars. There's only five bucks to get in, and you get a free soft drink. There's live DJ and dancing, and uh, if you're over tw- over 21, they've got all-you-can-drink drafts from 9 until 1 in the morning. That's at AF Rays in Greeley. Let's talk about Oh, a big concert that this radio station is putting on. We've had our name on as co-sponsors and things like that of other shows that have been done in town. But this is the first show in probably years that UNC Radio has done for itself. Gotten a lot of local bands, including Heart and Soul Radio, the Fogo Atlas, Glass Delirium, and In the Whale. All those bands are going to be performing 5 until 10 at night on April 14th, that is this week, that is, let's see, today's the 9th, 10th, 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 I brought in a calendar, and someone took it from here, and I don't know where it is, but it's this Thursday, April 14th, starting at 5 o'clock, right outside on Turner Green, come early to get your glow sticks, <laughs> okay, you do that, um, here at UNC. Also, I uh, want to tell you that we've got bands that are coming up in the Denver and local area, and some shows on this radio station have free tickets to give away to them, including Def Leppard, the one and only Def Leppard, playing August 29th at Denver, Colorado's Comfort Dental Amphitheater. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I thought I thought I'd seen everything when months ago I noticed that there was some sports event thing being played at an arena named after, like, a toilet cleaner. Or, no, as a waste disposal stadium. Honest to God, they named it after a waste disposal company. This isn't quite as bad, but still, the Comfort Dental Amphitheater in Denver, Colorado, hosting Def Leppard, August 29th. It's a Live Nation show. And Sade, I'm sorry, Sade is how she pronounces it, with John Legend. They'll be playing August 11th at the Pepsi Center in Denver. For tickets, go to LiveNation.com. The Glitch Mob playing Saturday, July 2nd at Red Rocks Amphitheater. Uh, Live Nation handling that. Panic at the Disco, June 28th at the Ogden Theater 
in Denver. And remember, all these shows, uh, if you, you've got to listen to UNC Radio, not only to my show, but especially to the programs on the weeknights between like 4 o'clock in the afternoon until 10 or midnight. That's where a lot of these tickets are going to be given away over the next few weeks. My Chemical Romance. Oh, they're playing tonight, April 9th, at the Fillmore in Denver. can still buy tickets at LiveNation.com. Bright Eyes playing Friday, June 3rd at the Fillmore. That's an early start, 5.30 in the afternoon for that. LiveNation.com handling that. And let's get to to some of the non-musical sponsors of this station. The UNC Mirror, published every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday during the academic year by Student Media Corps. This newspaper was... First printed here, February 1919. Imagine that. For, and it is the official newspaper of the University of Northern Colorado. You can pick it up everywhere on campus. And they've also got a website, the UNC Mirror. I read it. Why shouldn't you? And, of course, things on this station are brought to you by delicious Red's Dogs and Donuts. Get your wild game going at Red's Dogs, now offering a Wild Game Brat of the Week. Wild Boar, Smoked Elk, Alligator, Venison, Antelope, Pheasant, Duck, my favorite, Duck, uh, Smoked Jalapeno, Cheddar, Buffalo Brats, and more. Plus, they've got Holiday Pies, and every Friday night, they've got Texas Hold'em Poker. Uh, It's free to play, and at the end of the year, the grand prize winner gets $10,000. So check out redsdogsanddonuts.com or just go there. Get yourself a spud nut, a delicious, sweet, tasty donut made of potato flour. They're great. I've had a couple there over the past few weeks. They're Reds Dogs and Donuts, 2608 11th Avenue, right by Highway 34, next to the Starbucks in the King Supers Shopping Center. Reds Dogs. Mm-mm. It is 11 a.m., Mountain Time on this April 9th, 2011. I'm Dave Lefkowitz. You're listening to Dave's Gone By. For more information about my program, I don't know why the lips aren't working. For more information about my program, please go to davesgoneby.com. Also, if you want to see the playlist for this episode, go to the MySpace page and search for Dave's Gone By. And if you want to email me, make a request, Dave is gone by at AOL.com. All that information. We also have a Twitter account for the radio station. Let's see. I think I hope I covered everything. Let me tell you what the weather is going to be in Greeley, Colorado. It's going to get nice. You know, we've had some gray and cloudy days, which I guess makes up for the fact that we had a really, really sweet last couple of weeks of winter. Barely any snow at all and some quite warm temperatures. So, you know. Can't complain whatever this is going to bring. Today, mostly cloudy skies, high of 69 degrees. Going to be gusty, though, with winds 20 to 30 miles an hour. Tonight, partly cloudy, slight chance, uh, well, more than a slight chance of thunderstorms. Chance of rain, about 50%. So you might want to carry an umbrella. And then tomorrow also, rain early, then cloudy and some showers in the afternoon. Real real good chance of some wet weather tonight and tomorrow. High in the mid-50s tomorrow. Uh, and then tomorrow night, generally clear. And then Monday, aha, here we go, plenty of sun. High in the upper 60s. Tuesday, partly cloudy. Highs in the low 70s. Oh, yeah. Shorts weather again. And then a few showers on Wednesday. Again, high in the 60s. So not bad weather. Just prepare for a little bit of the wet, and you'll be fine. Well, time for Inside Broadway 
on Dave's Gone By. Just going to talk a little bit about some Broadway theater news, all sort of centering on the same topic. I'm calling it Foul is Fair. And it's this idea that uh, naughty words are de rigueur now. They're, they're kind of everywhere and totally apparently allowable within the, the context of not just off-off-Broadway theater and weird avant-garde stuff, but in major commercial theater. It's not, you know, the 1970s anymore when the blue-haired ladies were would go see a David Mamet play and hear the F-word or the S-word repeatedly and go like, oh, oh no, oh no, or... And the whole idea of a playwright doesn't have anything else to say. They just throw in dirty words. Well, sometimes that's still true, but they're so prevalent now because they're so prevalent in popular music on cable television um, to, to seem progressive and with it, I guess, theater isn't staying far behind. So what do we have? We have a show on Broadway, on Broadway, called The Mother Effer with the Hat. And I'm, I'm, you know, because it's morning here, I know we're not on, like, FM radio or anything like that, so I could technically use the word. Well, I'm not gonna. The Mother Effer with the Hat is a new play. It stars Chris Rock, and the problem is, A, I mean, it may not be the best play ever written, but you know, audiences are kind of liking it, and they're saying there's, there's value to it. problem is they're having a hell of a job selling it, because even though, ooh, you've got the whole idea that they're, it's, uh, this word and you can say it and it's this new play but it's still television it's still trying to get ads in the new york times and other papers and doing radio commercials uh, th- that's one thing theater is still kind of reliant on radio lots of other things aren't i mean they'll use tv or they'll use other methods but you know radio still gets a lot of theater advertiser advertising because the audience is sometimes the same but what do you do you can't say the whole name of the show on <laughs> on the radio or certainly on tv you have to coast around it and you know what? i'm going to break the um I'm actually going to go back on what I just said. I'm not going to say the whole name of the play, but I am going to go to their website because this is a really wonderful, brilliant move. They got Elaine Stritch to announce the name of the show and do a little pitch for it on the website. And even, even it, this is hilarious. Even the finest the actual, cast on oh, earth, on, the on, most on, explosive quiet, play on Broadway. The quiet, tighter you- quiet, Elaine Stritch. I'll get back to you in a moment. Good Lord, I hate that when websites come up immediately and, and assault you with visual and, and audio. But I will, I will play Elaine Stritch because they get her to pitch the show on the website. The website is, as I said, it's mfwithhat.com or something like that. And they got Elaine Stritch to say it, and that's why it's so beautiful. Because when Elaine Stritch says dirty words, you don't mind. It's like music. I... I um, a friend of mine is Michael Riedel. He's been on this show before. He's been on our Tony shows that we've done over the years. And Michael Riedel is, of course, a very important columnist in New York. He writes for the New York Post about the theater. And he's good friends with Elaine Stritch. They've done dinner tons of times. If he were, you know, 20 years older, if she were 20 years younger, dot, 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 who knows what their relationship would be. But they have this wonderful friendship, and he talks about her all the time. And she's been on the TV show that he does on public television back in New York. And it was the one time that PBS looked the other way, even though she was as dirty-mouthed as any kid who ever got his, his 
dentures washed out with soap. You know, she just goes on there, and PBS says, oh, it's a lame stretch. When she uses dirty words, it's, it, you know, it's like that, that, that prison show they did in the 1970s. We'll just look the other way. We'll, we'll all be scared straight by Elaine. And so I'm sorry if this is blasting. Maybe I can lower um, the volume on this from, from the board. But here is Elaine Stritch. All you have to do is go to the website for this play, the Emmer Effer with the Well, no, I can say mother. The mother Effer with the hat. This is, this is Stritchy. Uh, sorry if this blasts at you, but you got to hear this. The finest cast on earth. The most explosive play on Broadway. The title you can't say on television. Chris Rock. Bobby Cannavale. Annabella Sciorra. The motherfucker with the hat. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Oh, they're cutting off, though, because uh, you hear her laughing after she says it. She, she even can't keep a straight face, but it's this joy listening to her. Anyway... They've got this wonderful plug from her. They just can't get reviews or information out anywhere else. And, and um, Michael Regal, as I mentioned, wrote about this show a couple of columns ago, just saying they've got a very bad box office. They haven't opened yet. They're opening very soon. Um, I think I can find that out on here <laughs> without getting blasted again by Elaine. When did they open? Hmm... I am not sure, but it's very, very shortly. Anyway, they need incredible reviews for this thing, you know, to to stick around, let alone to be a hit, just to break even. They're going to need money, solid, rave reviews for this play. Or else, unfortunately, as Michael writes, financially, economically, the fact that they they took a name that was so, like, bam, in your face and can't get on the radio or TV, um, well... You know, times change, but they don't change all that much. And I'm bringing this up for a couple of reasons. The second is, just around this same time at La Mama, from April 28th through May 15th, they're opening a show called We Couldn't Call It What We Wanted to Call It, so we called it Holy Crap. This is the name of the show by a playwright named Inigo Ramirez de Haro. Uh, Obviously (laughs) not an American person because the play is also translated by a theater journalist and and playwright named Ronald Rand. He's also an actor. So anyway, this is a play. I think it's a one-person show that they're doing at La Mama. Or or maybe just... No, it's not one person. It stars Stephen Mohanan, who has done some shows on and off Broadway. Anyway, the real Spanish title of this play would have been... When, when, when this author, Mr. DeHaro, wrote it, he wanted to call the play... I shit on God. <laughs> well, or, or the Spanish equivalent of that. It's like, me cago al Dios, or something like that. Well, if you think the mother effort with a hat is a tough title to get around, try naming your play, I shit on God, in a Catholic Spanish country. Good luck. So he changed it to the new title. We couldn't call it what we wanted to call it, so we called it Holy Crap. And let me tell you, the original production of this play, and it's home in... Uh, Deharo's home country was met with protests, actors were attacked, and the author is still to this day getting death threats just for the title of a play. On a, on a lighter note, on a much happier, goofier note, um, April 14th, that's this Thursday, is going to see a musical theater lab reading of a new musical by Michael Roberts and Charlie Schulman. The name of the musical is called The Fartiste. 
not the artiste, the fartist, and it tells the story of Joseph Puhol, the most aptly named human being ever, except maybe uh, August Crapper or Thomas Crapper, whoever invented the toilet. This is a quote here. The fartiste tells the story of Joseph Puhol, who had an amazing, <laughs> who had an amazing and unique talent. He could take incredible amounts of air through his backside and expel it as odorless gas. Or at least they told, they told him it was odorless, whether it really was. He produced a wide range of musical notes in the process. So naturally, he became a headliner at the world-famous Moulin Rouge in the late 1890s, and he was a star for almost a decade. The Fartiste is the story of one man's desire to achieve success and make the most of his talents, the Far East, getting a reading this Thursday. So, you know, it's funny. Tel- <clears throat> television has at least changed a bit over the years, um, from, from Lucy and Ricky not being able to share a bed to, uh, you know, the mother effer with the hat. <laughs> but we can, we can talk about farts. It's okay. And, and the Far East. I do remember um, Tony Adams, a Broadway producer, had wanted to, to do... Uh, or, or was it, I forget who it was. There was a major Broadway writer. It wasn't Jerry Herman. But somebody wanted to do a musical about the Fartiste, and it, and it just never took off. It never happened. So maybe this one will. It's going to get an industry reading. Maybe producers are going to line up to throw money at a show about a man who makes music with his butt. <sighs> so so lots of naughty ideas and words in the uh, Inside Broadway, kind of fun to talk about. I also, I, I have to do a post-mortem or a pre-post-mortem for an off-Broadway show called Cactus Flower. It was a Broadway play back in the 1960s, and maybe you remember that they made a movie of it with Walter Matthau and Goldie Hawn way, way back. In fact, it was one of the first grown-up movies I ever saw as a kid. I mean, we went to it in the theater, and it was pg at that time, so there wasn't really anything I couldn't see. But I do remember that was that and support your local sheriff. We're <laughs> two of the first real grown-up non-Disney, non-Charlie Brown films that I saw. And I remember it being kind of a cute movie, kind of over my head, just about this this doctor who who wants a horse and da, da, da. Anyway, the reason I'm talking about Cactus Flower is not so much that it's playing off-Broadway now that they revived it, because it got terrible reviews mostly, but... There was an ad in the paper for it uh, a couple of, of weeks ago that I saw, and it just shocked the heck out of me because I didn't think they really still did this. But they did an ad of pull quotes. If you know what this is, it's, it's a quote ad. The musical or the play opens, and then they take all the reviews that the show has gotten, and they pull a line or half of a phrase from what the critics, each of the different critics for the major daily papers, would say. And then they Put, make an ad out of them. So they'll say, uh, wonderful, brilliant, funniest show in years by Brooks Atkinson, New York Times. And they'll say, uh, have me laughing and singing along with the cast uh, by Ben Brantley. I mean, whatever. Uh, that, those are just examples. Well, sometimes they're a little bit ornery and fraudulent with these things. They kind of did it to me years ago. That's why it particularly rankles. Because I... Uh, reviewed an off-Broadway show called One Mo Time that was done, got to be 15, 20 years ago now. It wasn't a terrible show. It just was kind of eh. It was, was really flat. Um, 
It was just a musical review of, and it was a sequel. I'm I'm trying to remember this as I speak. A uh, sequel to something Mo or, uh, I, I whatever it was, it was black cabaret and and music of the Harlem great era that they brought back and just like they all these these it just it was okay. It didn't really have a plot or a theme. It was just song after song and act after act. Some of it was good and some of it was just kind of dull. It didn't just didn't happen. And I wrote about that in my review. And at one point I said, well, one song I really kind of liked. It was really foot stomping. I swear to God, when they did the review of the show, when they did the pull quote ad of this off-Broadway musical, they had one word of mine, foot stomping. And like my name next to it, or, or the name of the publication I had written it for. And everything else about my review, which was mostly negative, out the window. And they did that really with, with all the other critics too. It was one word, footstamp and musical, delightful, joyful, dot, dot, dot. Okay, I mean, they pulled words kind of illegitimate in their use. This is worse what they did with, with Cactus Flower which is playing at the West Side Theater off-Broadway. For example, um, they pulled the phrase, Cactus Flower Blooms. You can't help but be drawn to the warm glow and vintage style of this show, side-splitting. That is the quote in the ad for Cactus Flower. Now, the actual full quote from the review by Peter Santilli reads, "We can't." and this was actually one of the more positive reviews that the show received, he wrote, we can't help but be drawn to the warm glow of the erstwhile era and its vintage style. The cast in this latest production does its best to make the romantic farce steadily amusing, if not side-splitting. <laughs> so Santilli wrote, yes, yeah, you know, they do their best. This is old stuff. Well, cast do their best to make it amusing. It's not side-splitting. What is the pull quote ad for the show take from his review? One word, side-splitting. <laughs> you know. Here's another ad, um, another quote from the pull quote ad for Cactus Flower. Summer has come early to New York. The actual quote? Summer theater has come early to New York. <laughs> and the rest of the quote, which is from the New York Times review, which was a pan, uh, I mean a bad pan of the show. So still, they get a line from the New York Times, because you got to have the New York Times mentioned in the ad. And it's like, summer has come early to New York. Uh, here's another one. A naughty but nice romantic farce. That's from New Jersey Newsroom. So says Cactus Flower. That's what they say New Jersey Newsroom wrote about uh, Cactus Flower. The actual quote is the same, but the review is a total pan that ends with the line sluggishly paced by director Michael Bush. The show stacks up as a 10-ton ball of fluff that clearly has seen better days. Funny, they did not quote that in the ad. So, I mean, this goes on and on for a couple of other times, like, um, a lot of fun, says AM New York. A lot of fun. The actual quote is about the set and costumes, and the period soundtrack is, quote, a lot of fun, too. The rest of the show, not so much. And finally, um... Theater Mania supposedly called the show hysterical. The actual quote, the supporting cast provides much of the comedy, uh, including John Herrera, whose every mannerism and bit of dialogue are hysterical. So at least that's sort of a little bit legitimate. One actor was, okay, hysterical. 
I, I, just what they do, and I, I wrote to Michael Regal about this, hoping that he would do a column on this, but he was on vacation for a week and then dealing with, with like Liz Taylor's death and stuff like that. <sighs> shame, 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 shame. But, you know, th- what goes around comes around. It was an act of desperation for the producers of Cactus Flower and the advertising agency handling it to do this in the first place because the show got such lousy reviews. So they said, well, what have we got to lose? We'll make up a pull quote ad. Maybe it'll fool some people. Didn't because the show's closing April 24th. It was an open run, but, you know, you can fool some of the people a little bit at a time, but you can't fool theater-going New Yorkers. And I think there's something, something to be said for that. Anyway, last bit of Inside Broadway news. Uh, this, this was just last week. Did you hear that Brett Michaels, the uh, singer, songwriter, the rock artist, is suing Tony Awards Productions? Took him long enough for the mishap that happened at the 2009 Tony Awards. Remember when he gave his little thing? They were, they were celebrating the fact that Rock of Ages had opened on Broadway. Didn't get any awards or anything, but it was this real kind of rock musical trying to bring a whole new audience to Broadway. You know, the hard rock, Iron Maiden, Death Leopard sort of crowd, Van Halen, Bon Jovi. So, you know, he goes out there, he does his thing, he sings with the Rock of Ages band, and... You know, choreography on Broadway or on the Tony Awards is really split second. You can't just sort of take a moment to yourself and then, you know, expect everything to stop around you. There's a lot of going on, of scenery, of hydraulics. So he does his thing. He walks off. He stops for a split second to give a little wave and then walks into scenery that's coming down, just clonks his head, falls on the floor, and then goes off, bleeding, gets a mild concussion, I think, and okay, Fine. Kind of his fault for taking that extra moment, although God knows how much rehearsal he really was able to have. And kind of, again, Broadway's fault when you have something like Spider-Man, where somebody's getting injuriously wounded every couple of weeks. Okay, there's half and half. Why Brett Michaels waited a year and a half to sue Tony Awards Productions, which is really um, a, a combination of the theater league and uh, the uh, the American Theater Wing, I guess maybe he got some recent diagnosis from a doctor that said, oh, you know, that, that little time you clonked your head uh, on the Tony Awards show? Well, yeah, it really was a concussion, and now you have brain damage right here. Maybe. I don't know what his motives are or his reasons are for waiting so long. I figure, you know, got out of the hospital two weeks later, sue the bastards. So we don't know what, whether they'll settle out of court. He certainly... I can't imagine he needs the money. He'll make more money uh, you know, doing one episode of that stupid Rock of Love thing than he ever did getting, you know, doing the Tony Awards or having his song in Rock of Ages on Broadway. I don't know. We'll be following this. But uh, the main thing is hopefully he's okay. He's had so many medical difficulties over the past couple of years. That should be like nothing. It literally is a bump on the head. That's, that's what's also rather amusing about this. I mean, I think the guy's diabetic. I think he was almost on death's door a few months ago, and then suddenly, well, he's okay, and he's going to tour again. Who knows what the hell it is with this guy? At least take on, you know, get yourself a, a real hairpiece. Take off the bandana. <sighs> or, or, you know, like he should have worn the bandana. We're protecting his head at the Tonys. Anyway, that's inside Broadway for, for today, April 9th, 2011. And... Um, what did I want to do? Oh, I did want to play one little song in honor of the mother effer with a hat 
and the, the Spanish show that cannot say its name. This is a song by Baxter Holvo called Many Ways, and it's, um, you'll, you'll recognize the tune from Mr. Rogers, but the words are all Baxter's. There are many ways to say you. There are many ways to say go yourself. Like burn in hell, like take a flying leap. Or I'd love to see your whole family in a flaming train accident and piled up in a heap. There are many ways to say you and your ugly children. There are many ways to say eat and die. Like up yours, buddy, or kiss my ass, or it would be worth it to die in Auschwitz if I could just see you gassed. So many ways to express hate. So many ways. Isn't that great? We don't have to blaspheme or curse to wish a person illness and worse. There are many ways to say I could hurt you. There are many ways to call you a mother piece of like choke on your own blood or drop dead, you jerk. Or I hope an AIDS victim bites you and the chemo doesn't work. So many ways, so many ways, so many sucking ways to say you. This spot can only hurt me, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> you can't go anywhere from here. You'll walk out and say, well, this one did good, that one did good. Cooper closed. What's the for next year? He'll close again. Who gives a I'm here because, and I swear to you, ladies and gentlemen, I don't lie. I don't know what the f this man does. I don't know where he came from. I'm 40 years in this f business. This guy drinks beer, passes f gas, and he gets a series. I drink beer, pass gas, and I got a colon problem. I lost a job because of this sh $10,000 job, so this man flies in. I'm losing $2,500 so this man can be roasted and tomorrow nobody will give a and they say we're there, who gives a <laughs> Nobody. I've been in roast with big giants, Bruce Willis, Jerry Lewis, ladies and gentlemen. We never had to wear a tuxedo. And when I look at his face, I want a great cheese. Tuxedo for what? For the comedy channel. Who the Yes. Cable is not where it's at. Radio. Welcome back to Dave's Gone By. On this very special Saturday morning, we are going to be talking with one of the legends of an era in comedy that may never come again, this wonderful era that brought people to the Catskills and the Ed Sullivan Show, and in this particular case, the Jackie Gleason Show. It was, it was that time before comedy radically changed in the 1970s, thanks to people like George Carlin and Richard Pryor, but comedy was already a huge factor in American cultural society, and you had um, you know, normal quote-unquote comedians and then the ethnic comedians and people who sort of straddled the line between the two. Well, joining us 
by phone uh, this morning is one of the living legends of that era in comedy. He was born Pasquale Caputo in Brooklyn, New York, and maybe that explains why he still, to this day, hollers everything, but he hollers it in a funny and dynamic way. This man has more energy, not only than I do, but if you put me in a room with seven other people, he would still have more energy than the seven of us combined. And so I welcome to the neighborhood, Pat Cooper. That's been my success, if you want to call it that. Other than that, uh, I'm still here. I'll be 82 in July, so uh, I'm still pumping oil. Thank God. What more can I tell you, Dave? Well, God willing, I hope you do make 82 and 92 and 102, um, Pat Cooper. I'm wondering, you mentioned music as being, um, you have a jazz kind of style in the way that you present comedy. Did you really sense a musical influence when you were developing your comedy style? Style is everything. Well, if you don't have style up there, or I try to, uh, uh, I don't know if I'm misinterpreting you, but a rhythm, there's a thing called a comedic rhythm. Mm -hmm. I don't see that today. Milton Berle had it, Henry Youngman had it, Fat Jackie Leonard had it, Don Rickles has it. You don't see that no more. And uh, for some reason, I don't know why, but then I see a lot of comics who are just content to stand up and do their hour, half hour, and just go home. Years ago, if I didn't get a laugh in two seconds, I was ready to quit show business. <laughs> Is, I, of course, because you lived and died on every punchline. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm shouting, folks, but uh, Mr. Cooper is a little bit of hard of hearing, so do bear with me. Uh, I want him to make sure that he hears uh, the questions that I'm... I'm $40,000 in hearing aids. I still can't hear you. <laughs> well, well is, has that been a problem since you still perform all the time? Does... Well, you don't let anything like that you know, put, uh, put you to sleep. What you do is you ignore it and you go about your life. Every once in a while I got days I hear perfectly. Then there are days I don't hear too good. But when I'm on the stage, I'm okay. I'm in, I'm in a, you know, I'm in a, a real, real, real character. I go out, do my job. I know where the last should be and shouldn't be. And then when I go on a tirade, sometimes there's more fun. Then when I come off the stage, I tell people, what did I say? <laughs> <laughs> And, and do you do do you have tirades in real life, or do you save it for the stage? I am a walking tirade. <laughs> well, okay, I have well, such energy that people don't know if I'm a sick human being or if I'm over healthy. <laughs> I have an energy that my parents, till today before they passed away, don't know where I came from because no one in the DNA of my family has my energy. No one in the DNA of history has your energy packet. It's, it's, it's rather amazing. Did you, um, but did that style develop, like when you were first starting out as a comedian, did, were you ranting already? Did you have that rhythm or were you more standing? No, 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 no. What happens was I liked it, but never got any help from family. Uh, there was no talent in my, uh, in my parents or my, my sisters. There was no talent, so whatever I used to get out on a little bit of a tirade that they thought was a tirade was called talent today. Okay. If I was a Jewish kid, the people would have said another Milton Berle. Because in an Italian family, we were not known for comedy many years ago. Right. Were there any... If you sang off, if you sang off key, your father said you were another Caruso. <laughs> well, well, let me ask, were there any Italian comedians that you looked up to and that served as role models at some point? 
Italian I ones. With my own, I had problems with my own culture. When I came out with my hit album, they thought I was making fun of the Italians, which was so ridiculous. What I was trying to do was let them know that we had a sense of humor, which well, yeah. was unheard of that an Italian had a sense of humor years ago. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Were, were there any mentors of yours in comedy or performance? Anyone that stood up in a comedy routine. I used to go to the theaters. Mm -hmm. I cut school. I'd scarf up, up and down Broadway and watch all the comics that were working the theaters. We don't have that anymore today. I turned around and said, geez, I am like that guy that I'm watching on the stage. And why does my parents think that I'm not funny or that I don't have any, any kind of a comedic rhythm? My father wanted me to brick, be a bricklayer. And, uh, you know, and uh, if I wasn't a bricklayer, I didn't exist. Well, you were a bricklayer for a period. You actually did that job. I was, job. but the, listen, I went on the wall. That don't mean I was a bricklayer. Right. Um, I went on the wall, and anything I laid down was so crooked, you're going to come <laughs> outside. You didn't need the steps. <laughs> oh, man. Was it, what other jobs did you have before you, you made comedy your full-time business? I was a cab driver, a furrier. I was a bricklayer. I was a delivery man. I had to go to work. After school, I had to have a part-time job, or my father and mother, what, what, not, what, they wanted to know why. If you wanted to go to the movies, go out and earn 11 cents, which was the price of the movies when I was a kid. Wow. And they let you know you're responsible for you. We're not responsible for you. Did you when finish? I was 11 years old, my father said, when are you going to get your own apartment? <laughs> Really, or is that a joke? Today, that's called, today that's called child abuse. Well. Years ago, it was called raising your children. <laughs> so, so did you finish high school? No, I'm lucky I went to school at all. Wow. I got I got one week high school. I didn't go that week. <laughs> but but was it because you were so busy working and trying to do comedy, or you just weren't a good student? It was my release. I had more fun driving a cab because I was one-on-one -on -one with the passengers, and I would tell stories. I would, I would do like I was doing a stand-up driving a cab, and I got better and better, and I couldn't wait to get into that cab. Wow. I made less money driving a cab, but I was a happier, happier human being. Well, that's, that's the most important thing. Do you remember your first gig, your first stand? Yes. What? Yeah. Yes. My first gig was in a wedding, and they told me to leave. Really? Because as a joke, as a joke, I said to the bride, you know, I've been going out with your husband for years. Oh. And they took offense and they asked me to leave. <laughs> well, did anybody laugh or did the joke just bomb? No, but you know, no, no. I was so very nice to get up and get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so, but what because about you? I was considered an adult today. Oh, well, yeah. Did, they took me serious. They didn't have, because they never saw a comic who had a sense of humor. <laughs> Now, this was when you first started to it. Was that the early fifties? Are we putting this around what? I uh, I did things that nobody had the nerve to do. I would work. I would go to a bar on the corner from my house, and I'd get up in front of the bar and do five, six minutes, and and hopefully somebody would give me a couple of bucks or give me a half an hour just to earn movie money. Wow. And my father found out my father wanted to kill me because he thought I was an exhibitionist. He didn't <laughs> understand you going in front of a bar making a fool of yourself. Was there a point when your parents then understood when you when you reached some level of success and they said, aha, 
you know, you know exactly what you're doing. Listen to me. Listen to me. Okay. Being an Italian in my era, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you went to work. Saturday, you went shopping. <laughs> Sunday, you ate macaroni. And Monday, you went back to work again. And my father would always say, don't get too cocky because one day you're going to die. <laughs> Are you sure he wasn't Jewish? No, but, um... No, 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 no. My <laughs> father, hey, my father, the cement was hard when he was born. Wow. My father turned around when he said something. He didn't back off. Hmm. He would say to me, why don't you die so we can take the land that you're standing on and give it to somebody who wants to go to work? Oh, my God. <laughs> was that grab you? Was your mom nicer? Was my mother, no, my mother hit me. Oh, my oh. mother enjoyed, see, you got to, don't misinterpret, my mother was the hitter. Wow. My father, just by staring at you, you would melt. Right, okay, yeah, the fear was there without the violence, but... There, no, no, that, that, that was not called violence in those days. That was called raising your family. Nobody went to jail for hitting their children. Right, of course. I got hit in school. The teachers used to hit me in school. In the, on the on the rear? You know, my father would say, why does he kill him? <laughs> God. Because my father would say, this teacher is trying to make a stupid man like you intelligent. You respect her. If you don't respect her, I'll hit you. Wow. Did you go to um, the, the schools beneath high school? Were they um, religious schools or just P.S.? Uh, no, 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 no. My father used to say to me, go to, go to confession and tell God what a skunk you are. <laughs> I said, where did you go? He said, I don't tell my business to nobody. <laughs> We're talking with Pat Cooper here, who's, who's, as you can see, still has every ounce of energy that he must have had starting out as a comedian 50, 60 years ago. Do you have, um, do you have a regimen of exercise? How do you keep yourself healthy, or do you eat the same way you did 50, 60, 70 years ago? No, I'm a different guy. I get better, I believe. If I didn't get better, I would quit. Well, no, but I'm, I'm saying, I'm pushing you... 82 years old. Right. I'm up. To, I'm up to date. I did. I worked Friday in Eastern Pennsylvania. I put 1,100 people in the theater, and I think the whole town showed up. Well, so great. I still got. A, I still got a fan base. I still. I got a book. I don't know if you heard about that. Of course. It's how dare you say how dare me. From I got no I got reviews on this thing. I couldn't I couldn't do it if I was Hemingway. I couldn't write a better <laughs> review. I got a review in South Africa and I don't know anybody in South Africa. I don't know anybody in South Brooklyn. <laughs> but but I got like, a five star review, a four star review, and I'm telling you now and I I didn't do it for the money. I did it because I wanted to write a great story or I wouldn't put my pen to the page. And I'm going to tell you something, my friend. Mm -hmm. It's the best book out there for show business. A lot of laughs, a lot of sadness, a lot of truth. And the truth today is dangerous, as you know. Well, what, what are some of the sad and uh, un unpleasant truths that you're getting across in, in your new book? I changed my name because I couldn't get a job as Pasquale Caputo. And my father went ape. Hmm. My father wanted to strangle me. Well, I and understand. I tried to explain to him I was having trouble with the taxes because I was working under Pat Cooper and paying taxes under Pasquale Caputo. And my lawyer says, you've got to either change your name or stick with your regular name. But at that time, I was too late. I was already known as Pat Cooper. So that's what I did. I changed my name legally. And my father and I never had.
lot of relations after that. Oh, wow. If, if you were starting out today, would you have kept your real name? I used it at first. I, you know, I used it to, you know, and here he is, Pasquale Caputo. People laughed at the name, and it wasn't even, it didn't have a right feeling for me. Okay. So and it, I remember all the great Jewish comics changed their name. Sure. They, they kind of had to. Who now you you've worked with people like Sinatra and and Tony Bennett. Do you have any great stories or anecdotes about being well, on stage? You gotta understand that when you're working with what they call a superstar, he is only or she is only a human being. And if they don't treat me like a human being, I took a powder. Well, I who... refuse to be abused. Mm -hmm. I refuse to have my dignity taken away from me because that's all I own. Well, Frank Sinatra asked me one time to take something out of my act. I said, Frank, I don't tell you what songs to sing. Don't tell me how to be a comedian. How and did no he... one ever said that to him. And there were four people in this restaurant room. Oh, my God. And he looked at me and didn't know what to say to me. The only good thing about that, we became good friends, but I never worked with him again. Never. Oh, well, but you became good friends, so at least you were able to put, you know, that... Well, is... because you have to be his comic, I'm nobody's comic. I'm my own man. Huh. I could have been bigger than I am today, but I didn't give up my dignity. Well, you, I don't imagine how you could be bigger than you are today. You're pretty big, but... Well, um... there's a, you know, there's a, well, you, you got Don Rickles, and you got, uh, you know, uh, all these big guys today, uh, Bill Cosby. I no. don't say they gave up their dignity. But I did something none of them would have, would have the nerve to do. I called it the way it was. I said what was on my mind. And if they didn't like it, I said, well, then I can't work with you. And I left. Because I don't know how many minutes I had left in my life. Why should I have people push me around? I despise bullies. Oh, uh, me too. And I got ripped off by some of the biggest gangsters in the business. Oh. So oh. what is the difference? So you turn around and you go and you say, you're right, you got my money, but you don't have my dignity. Good point. And that would kill them. Were there any other um, well-known celebrity people who treated you either really wonderfully or really badly? Yes. Who? Yes. Who? Ella Fitzgerald, Nat King Cole. Ah. I mean, people like that. I can tell you, all the guys, Al Martino's and the Lou Montes and the, uh, one of the greatest guys I ever worked with, Sergio Franchi, who I loved and adored. I mean, Peggy Lee was one of the nicest ladies. Oh. Uh, uh, Rosemary Clooney. I mean, uh, give me a break. Vic Damone, guys like that. We were, we were just had great rhythm. Wherever we worked, we packed them in and we respected each other as human beings. I knew my place as an opening act. Nobody had to tell me how much time to do. I knew my place. And everybody said that this guy worked with every performer in the business because he knew his place and he was a gentleman. And I live by that today and I'm gonna be 82. <laughs> Well, that brings me back to the question I was asking before. Do you do exercise? Do you eat right no, or wrong? No. no. <laughs> I did. I did. So when I laid brick for 12 years, I did bends maybe $200,000 in my lifetime. That was the first and last exercise I ever did, and I'll never do another one. I barely bent down to pick up paper. <laughs> well, do you and feel... if there was a $100 bill, I would walk past it. I ain't bending down for nobody <laughs> at my age. <laughs> Well, do you feel yourself physically slowing down? Obviously, mentally and I am now 195 pounds. I'm six feet two, and I'm cute. 
<laughs> I was never handsome, but I had curls. <laughs> <laughs> um, let, let me ask, do you have, uh, and I don't want to get into to some of the, the dark side stuff with your family, but are you dating? Are you living with someone? Do you have... No, no. My sex life is over. Oh. I was married 44 years to the greatest woman that ever lived. A woman that, that taught me to be a better man. A woman that thought I walked on water. I tried in the bathtub, but I fell. <laughs> I have no aspirations to go out and start another a series of women. My days are over. I had the best for 44 years. I cannot go any further, but uh, just to respect women that I take out to dinner. Now, one woman said to me, you want to go to bed with me? I said, if I go to bed with you, I'm going to go to sleep. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, there's cuddling, you know. You don't have to do everything. I don't cuddle no more because it's out of my, 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 my lifestyle. I just want to take people out to dinner, have a nice time, and go home. <laughs> I, you know, I'm 46. I'm 47. I already know how you feel. <laughs> Did you ever hear of the? Uh, I don't mean this disrespectful. Did you ever hear of the word erectional dysfunction? I've heard of it. Yes. I was born with it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. Um, Pat Cooper confessing to erectile dysfunction here on uh, Dave's Gone By. Um, now, can I ask one of the the questions that? The publicist for you and for your new book, How Dare You Say, How Dare Me, from Square One Publishers, he, he came up with a few uh, preset questions that might be fun to ask uh, and, and save me the work of having to think of them. So one of them is, you turned down a part in a Martin Scorsese film, Casino. Why? Because the man gave me a bone, and I refused to accept a bone from him. And the reason he handed me a bone was because I did his 50th birthday, and it was my pleasure to do it. And I never saw him after I did the birthday until his office called me about six months later and said, Martin wants you in casino. I went down to read for the part. I was in Vegas at the time where they were filming. I read the part, and I said, I thank you. This is not for me, Martin. And I went away because I'm a name performer. How dare you give me a stupid part like this? How dare you not give me a better part with my name value that I've worked all these years to become popular, and you're giving me a, a, a goodbye part. And oh. maybe this damn thing may not even make the screen. What was... That's how bad the part was. I don't think the part was 30 seconds on the screen. Well, yeah, but I mean... And that... I said to no disrespect, but you threw me a bone and I ain't catching it. I don't give a damn who you are. Oh, okay. And so obviously you don't regret the... the, the I mean, it, it's, it would have been working... I don't know. Everybody says you're not going to get another movie because of that. I did two movies with Robert De Niro, but at least they gave me a decent part. Okay. Okay. I mean, I, I get... That's your answer. When you sit by your, your dignity, you're going to win the battle. True. True. But I, I don't think Scorsese meant to disrespect you, obviously. He probably well, just... Someone who couldn't talk. You were better off if you got someone who was a pimp. 
Wow. Okay. Well, that, that certainly explains that decision. Um, on, on to a happier thing. Your big break as, as a comedian, I guess you, most people would agree, was getting on the Jackie Gleason show. Um, right. Did you realize it like the night it happened? Did you know, aha, that you know, my career is going to go from here to there overnight? There was no overnight. Uh, you know that. that, that that's no. a fallacy. I worked a lot of years. I took a lot of uh, uh, mental beatings, and I stood by my, by my, my, uh, my talent. I had two children who I lost. I don't have those children no more. Uh, that's in the book. You know, it's a sad, it's a sad scenario when you're dealing with ex, ex relatives that just want to torture you because of the jealousy that you made something well, of yourself. Well, let, let's... I mean, that's a sad story. That's very sad. And my ex-wife always said to me, "These are my kids, my kids, my kids," and she said it once too many. And I said, "They're your kids." I haven't seen my son over forty years, and I haven't seen my daughter over over thirty-five years. Yeah, let, let, and you let's... know something. The sad part, I don't miss them. That's the sad part. That is very sad. Because they cannot take my dignity. I don't give a damn if they were my kids or not. How dare they do this to me? When I try to make a name for myself, that they will be the only ones that are going to benefit. Um, if people don't know what, what Pat is mentioning right now, first of all, when he said he, his children, he lost his children, God forbid, they're not dead. Um, they're, they're alive. Said, they're just I've got a I've got grandkids I'll never see, but that's okay. I'm responsible for walking away. I take responsibility. Everybody right. says, well, they're your children. I says, yes. But I'm not going to be tortured and shut them down my throat. They're not my children then. They're her children. Now they're there. That's okay. So what did they gain? You what? tell me what did they gain. What? So they gained anger and they gained hate. So there's your answer. And that's all in the book. Yeah. I'm just, you said such wonderful things about your, your late wife. It's so weird. Or, or was this... They don't make them like that no more. I got lucky a second time. Oh. That woman was a saint. I, I married see. a saint. Right. And then my ex-family called her a whore. Why does that grab you? That's oh. the kind of people I was dealing with. So there's your answer. What am I going to do? I went on. I still go on with my life. I lost a lovely lady. I had great, great memories. And that's all I want to remember is the great memories with this woman. So you don't see... I got a, I got a daughter with her. I got two, grand, two grandchildren. I'm a happy, a happy, happy man. Oh, well, that's, thank God, that's good. That's, that's, are you religious, by the way? Are you still, do you, do you dabble in Catholicism, or are you secular? Am I particular? Secular. In, in other words, are you a good Catholic in any sense of the word? No, 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 no. <laughs> no, I'm the worst. Okay. I'm the worst because I don't believe what the priests tell me. I'll never believe it, and I will never believe it. Okay. And my father, believe it or not, said to me, be very careful because these are human beings, and one day you're going to see a scandal with this, and it's happened already. He predicted it 20, 30 years ago. He said, if you're a good person, you don't have to go to church. Hmm. Don't be a hypocrite. If you're a good person, you have to get on your knees and tell the, the priest in the confessional that you stole something or that you did. You know what's right and wrong. You I, don't need the cops to tell you what's right and wrong. You know what's right and wrong. So be a man. And if, you don't, if you're not a man, jump out of a window. Because you don't deserve to be on this planet. That's how they raised you years ago. Right. Um, wow. So what is a, a, a typical day these days for... 
Pat Cooper, uh, assuming you work several days a week, and then you just go have dinner with friends, and that's basically your day? Well, I take a job that I know I can bring people, and I will not take a job, take the money, and run. I've never done that. If I can't pack a room and at least make the boss make money, I will not take the job. Okay. My hobby is I cook and I give it away. That's my hobby. You like making... And I got friends that I go out to dinner with, and uh, I got people like you that are very nice, so let me get on the air and be myself, because a lot of people that get on the air don't tell things that I say. And people want to hear that from a person. People who got their own problems want to hear that you have problems and you fought it. You fought your problems and you're still out there and you're still trying. I tell your kids to read my book and don't let nobody say you can't do it. This is the greatest country in the world. I remember this country. We had no army, no navy, no nothing. And we knocked the enemy on its butt. That's right. This is the greatest country in the world, bar none, with all our problems. Bar none. Do That's you, what it's all about. Do you, um, how, how difficult or, or easy or necessary is it for you to keep your, your act, your material topical? Do you have to watch the news? Do you have to... I am so funny that it comes out natural. I'm a gifted man. Yes. And the proof of the pudding, when you play, it's the proof of the pudding. You play this tape back and you'll see where my brains are. <laughs> I am a very fast, quick-witted man that comes natural. I got a lot of beans because of it, but you know something? It's the best thing that ever happened to a man. I did what I want to do, and I'm a very happy man. I'm very grateful. And that's not con job. That's a fact. Well, you, life has been pretty good to you. You should be grateful for the things that you've got. And um, I'm kind of wondering, I, I, I always hesitate asking comedians this, but... Who are the people that you find funny these days? Who do I think is funny these days? Yeah. Well, anyone that I think that gets up and does stand up, I think has a great chance because they have a great sense of humor. Some people are funnier than others. We have today in our business mechanical comics who can't outlive a gas pain. <laughs> then we have natural comics who can walk out there and go on a tirade and do 20, 30 minutes off the top of the head. I am known as the best roaster in the Friars Club. I'm the only one that closes the last 15 or 20. Nobody yeah. has that spot. I have no writers. I go in front of the microphone and off the top of my head. And the proof of the pudding is there are all those things that I did were taped. And there is a one comic, big or small, can come alongside what I do at a roast. Well, yeah. I, 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 and that's, people... my, that, that's my speech for today. <laughs> well, it, it's been absolutely delightful hearing um, Pat Cooper speak. Everybody, first of all, please get his new book, How Dare You Say, How Dare Me, his autobiography by Square, uh, published by Square. Listen to me, they, they can get it in the bookstores or on Amazon. I swear to you, Dave, and you know I don't lie. I don't have no reason to lie. It's the best book out there if you want to know the truth about show business. I'll give you the truth. And I'll tell you, people who stood up to the big names in a, in a respectful manner to let them know you don't do that to me. You will not do that to me because you wouldn't want that done to your children. And when you tell those people that, they back off, but they're scared of you. And anybody that's scared of the truth ought to stay in the closet. Huh. 
Well, and that's another thing. Yeah. That's another thing. Everybody's, everybody's coming out of the closet. When I was growing up, we had no closets to come out of. <laughs> Well, no, uh, unfortunately for, for people back then, everything, I guess, was more, was sort of about in the open. Well, maybe not. It's very good to be open and honest and be what you are. And I think it's healthy, and I'm for everybody being what they want to be. If two guys want to dance with each other, God bless them. If I dance with a man, my father would have killed me 35, 40 years ago. Oh. But I got no shit. There were better men I could dance with than women years ago. <laughs> can, can I ask... Um, I, I think I'll know the, the answer to this one, but uh, your thoughts on political correctness. Is there way too much of it? I don't even know if there's anything political correct or bad or right. I wrote a book about my feelings, about what happened, and I wrote an honorable book. Mm -hmm. Naturally, you're going to get people out there who don't like it. That's too bad. Nobody's going to really argue with you on that. That's not politically incorrect to say. I mean, that's... that's... Well, what's wrong with our society when we got to get those teachers and people who help our children to become intelligent? Now we got the computer doing it for all of us, and we don't even want to think no more. Do you have a computer? Do you email? Do you... No, no, I don't have a computer. I barely have, I barely have a, 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 a telephone. <laughs> Um, let me ask Pat Cooper uh, in, in our final moments together. And first of all, thank you so much for being so alive well, and energetic. I love you. I respect you. I thank you for putting me on. This is very important because it gives me a chance to advertise that I got a hell of a book out and to let people hear my honesty on your station. Have a good day and not too much snow. But you see, we're the last of what we are. After us, it's over. There's no more doing the things that we do. There are 30 million Italians in America. Nobody knows where we are. In the winter time, the Jews go to Florida and the Italian stays in the yard. Waiting for the mushrooms to come through the snow. Because we have a habit. We don't want to get involved. All we see is Italian gangsters, sopranos we see. And we see all these tough movies. Ladies and gentlemen, let's face the reality. The Italians make the best gangsters. The Russians suck. You ever see the Russians? Hey, 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 hey. Stick them up. Hey, 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 hey. Italians, we got class. When we say, stick them up. Stick them up. Madonna Gabishanin, stick them up. Welcome. Hope you are enjoying or have enjoyed the interview with Pat Cooper on Dave's Gong by. Stick him up. You stick your ears up to, to hear Pat. I mean, was I right about the energy? Was I right about the fact that we were talking for about half an hour and he had more <laughs> more anger and more sheer bravura and bravado and rage and energy in like the last five minutes than he had in the first 25 
and he was like a crazy man all the way through. So it is quite amazing to still talk to Pat Cooper, 82 years old, I believe. Uh, and everybody, Sunday, April 17th, if you are on Long Island, go to the Smithtown Center for the Performing Arts to see Pat Cooper do his thing. We played a clip of him uh, before and after the interview segment. The first part, the first clip that we heard with all those bleeps in it was from uh, the Drew Carey Friars Roast, which I, I grabbed off YouTube. And the last piece was a little YouTube clip with Cooper talking about Italians. So come see him, Smithtown Center for the Performing Arts, April 17th. That's a Sunday. For more information, do visit patcooper.com. And of course, do get his book, How Dare You Say, How Dare Me, from Square One Publishing. It's 11.58 in the morning, Mountain Time. It's Dave's Gone By, episode number 350. Told you it was going to be cool. Told you it was going to be special. We had Gabrielle Louise uh, playing some of her music. We had Pat Cooper. We talked about Broadway. We heard Elaine Stritch cursing. That was kind of neat. And we still have much more to do. We've got, coming up, Rabbi Saul Solomon with his rabbinical reflection for the week on killer whales because uh, Tillicum is back in the spotlight. Also, if there's some time, we will play some Tom Lehrer music in honor of Tom's 83rd birthday. I tried. I really tried to get Tom Lehrer to do an interview for the show, because that would have been just one of the greatest things ever. I mean, I've, I've had Dr. Demento on here, Joe Franklin, Uncle Floyd, some, some pretty famous musicians, but, you know, to have Tom Lehrer, really our greatest living musical satirist, on the show would have been just heaven. But he has declined interviews for a couple of decades now. I mean, you know, he's been declining interviews for about 40 years, saying every single time, look, all you need to know about me, you need, you know about me. Okay, it's all been out there. I've spoken, his musical career only lasted less than a decade. He only put out three, three real albums of music, a couple of live albums of doing the same songs. You know, and, and did one or two little tours of performing, and that was it. And then he, he retired from comedy, from music and performing, and became a math teacher at Harvard, I believe, for years and years and years. So, you know, I, I guess it really did get tiring to answer the same questions over and over. And so I did get to talk to him on the phone. I called him, found his number, and, and said hi. And he was funny and wry. Gracious, but at the same time, absolutely firm. And said, no, 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 not doing it, not doing it. I turn these things down all the time. Uh, Just because he came out a little bit of retirement in about 2000 when Rhino Records put out the box set of Tom Foolery. And they wanted him to do, and he agreed to do, some PR for that. And that's when you have the most recent interviews with Tom Lehrer. So, unfortunately... Yeah, I wasn't on the air at that point doing my show. Would have grabbed it if I could have, but couldn't. And it was just a pleasure for me personally to talk to him for about two or three minutes, to wish him a very happy birthday, to hear that that, that great, wonderful wit. And um, so we will still, of course, honor Mr. Lehrer with the most important thing anyway, because you can get his bio on the computer, and you can see him actually performing live on YouTube. What a wonderful thing! I grew up with the record albums that little 10 inch EP album, the red one with him painted as the devil at the piano, right? And then the, the live albums that was the week that was well, and, and more of Tom Lehrer, more songs, etc. An evening wasted. Grew it, I thought I knew him, I didn't know what he looked like. 
until like 10, 15 years ago. I had no clue until suddenly a picture would show up here and there I'd see on the internet, and then suddenly videos, man, of him playing the piano and singing, and these really rare things with his special guest appearances at banquets honoring people or, or stuff like that where he'll do... I mean, I, I was just like, oh, my God, because to me, this didn't exist growing up, and I would have loved to have seen it. So Tom is, as usual, right. If you want to know all about him, his stuff, you can see it on the Internet. But if you want to hear his music, stay tuned to Dave's Gone By, because we will be playing some. And uh, as I said, the rabbi will be here. And also, we will get to, in just a moment or two, our weekly segment, Bob Dylan, sooner and later, playing a half hour of uninterrupted Bob Dylan music with a special theme this week, Master Songs, in honor of the golf tournament, the Masters, that's going on as we speak. But I did want to jump in real quick with two things. First of all, some sad news. I have to say bye to the great American film director, Sidney Lumet. He died today. uh, He was 86 years old. He had lymphoma. And what what a record of art that this man left behind, from 1957's Twelve Angry Men to Serpico to Dog Day Afternoon. Everybody remembers the first time they saw Dog Day Afternoon. Just what a strange and powerful New Yorky movie that was. And the Agatha, Agatha, Agatha scene, and Al Pacino's great, great role. I mean, except maybe in Godfather, he's never, I don't know if he's ever done better. Um, well, actually, he's, he's done some great work, but... Uh, what else did he do? Network. That was a Sidney Lumet film. Everybody remembers Howard Beale opening the window and shouting, I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore, which was satire, which was Patty Chayefsky making fun of television, and at the same time, you had to look at that and go, yeah, I'm mad as hell, and I, I'm not going to take it anymore. This is back in the 1970s, but we could certainly do it right now, as crazy as the bloody world is. In fact, I was talking to my wife last night, thinking about this and, and thinking about Charlie Sheen again, because his his fifteen minutes are still going and his news cycle isn't over. Because he's keeping it going, and she's saying what a lot of people are saying, and that I have said, uh, okay, well, people are paying to see him do his concert or reading his his the stories about him in the news or or watching his clips that that show up on the internet. Uh, because they want to see the train wreck. They want to see just how low can he go. Is he going to survive? Is he going to drink himself, drug himself to death? Is he going to crash and burn every time or rise like a phoenix? And, and I think there is part of that in what people are looking for. But you know what? I think when they're paying the $40 or so to go see him in concert or to keep following along, I think there's another side of that. I think it's also about a guy who is just saying, I am living my life exactly my way, every single minute. If I feel like calling my boss a schmuck, I'm going to do it, whatever. He hires me back, I lose a couple of million dollars, I never have to work again, my kids never have to work, even with alimony, I'm fine. So, screw my boss, screw everybody who tells me what to do and, and how I should live my life, and whether I should have one wife or two women and, and see other women beyond that, whether I want to have some lost weekends or not. Uh, you know, the only thing one can say counter to that is as long as you're not hurting other people, go ahead. I mean, it, it's sad if you are a drug addict. It's sad if you are an alcoholic and not getting help. But, you know, as long as you're not beating up any more women, 
go to it. And then there's that real American spirit of this unique loon who is at the same time very intelligent and um, very uniquely spoken. He'll come up with these, these wonderful turns of phrase that are then quotable, winning, you know, uh, kind of <clears throat> like the Jersey Shore Kids. One of the, the reasons that show is so watchable isn't just because, you know, they're, they're attractive young people having sex and being goofy and, you know, just really playing around. It's because they are free-spirited, and the fact is you listen to them, and they're going to make you laugh because they're going to come out with phrases that are really, really funny, you know? So you get that with, with Charlie Sheen. But for me, it's that frontier spirit of my way, I'm doing everything exactly my way, and it's not the accepted way. I will say things that are off-color or weird or offend people, so what? I mean, he did apologize and, and explain something about, you know, the whole tempest in a, pe- uh, <laughs> in a peapot. Boy, foul language is getting to me today. In a teapot of his producer Chuck Lorre and calling him Chaim and the Jewish... And, all right, he explained that because he wanted to explain it, because he wanted to say, no, it wasn't about... Uh, the Jewish thing. It was about the fact of calling him by his real name to to say, hey, I know who you really are, not this Hollywood persona. Whatever. Uh, Sheen doesn't apologize for much else. And I think people who are stuck in jobs and jobs that may, especially in this economy, they might not have gotten raises in a couple of years. They're, they're looking for other jobs but can't find any, so they're stuck. And they're in their little drone places or um, you know, they can't pay their health care or they've got to put up with more and more and more in this life with less and less time to, to themselves. Maybe horm- more home conveniences. Did I just say hormone conveniences? God, <laughs> this is four-letter word day on, on, on Dave's Gone By. No, but mm. so people can escape into uh, the video games that they have, the Xboxes, the giant screen TVs to watch movies whenever, to, to hear any song from the whole wide world on their iPod, now, which is great. But it's, it's, again, escape, 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 because the actual working world or the world with their families and their children, it's just like there is no escape. There can't be Charlie Sheen that says, huh, wow, well, I'm horny today. I'm going to have my two goddess mistresses pleasure me, and maybe I'll, I'll rent a hook or two, you know. People will say, oh, that's horrible, and women will say, oh, shame on him. But, you know, scratch the surface of of any man over 13 years old, and there's going to be a sense of, go, Charlie, go. Anyway, why am I bringing all this? Well, Pat Cooper certainly lives a little bit of that. And um, what are we talking about? Dog Day? Oh, we're talking about networking, Howard Beale and the late Sidney Lumet. So he gave us moments like that. The Attica moment in Dog Day, the, the window moment in Network, uh, the, the, um, the moments of 12 Angry Men, which he didn't write, he directed, of you know, fighting for the little guy, when you're not even sure the little guy is correct. All of that. Um, we're going to miss Sidney Lumet. And I just checked on the internet. His last film was, um, what was I, I thought I wrote it down. No. Well, anyway, he did a film in 2007, oh, called Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, that Roger Ebert gave four stars to. And Ebert said, like 20 years after Lamet won an honorary Oscar, or, uh, he's still making another masterpiece. Isn't that wonderful that in his mid-80s, he's making not just you know, um, films that aren't, uh, what's the word, forgive me, uh, 
Oh, you know, like valedictory films or, or just doodling or little noodles, but making movies as good as he ever did. So he will be missed, but the nice thing is that in some ways the legacy goes on because Sidney Lumet has a daughter, Jenny Lumet, and she co-wrote the, or she wrote the screenplay for Rachel Getting Married, which had some real, real good stuff in it. So he not only gives us the legacy of the wonderful movies that he made, but his movie legacy will hopefully continue through the genes and through the family. So farewell to, uh, to Mr. Lamet. Anyway, I want to remind you that Dave's Gone By, which airs every Saturday from 10 in the morning until 1 in the afternoon, is brought to you by Hewlett Minuteman Press, the copy kings of Broadway. Since the 1970s, the Toron family has owned and operated Minuteman right in the heart of Hewlett Long Island, across the street from the Lomans. And if you go to Hewlett Minuteman, tell them Dave sent you for 10% off. 516-569-5577 is their number. 516-569-5577. Minuteman. And then also, please, everybody, check out this website, totaltheater.com. T-O-T-A-L-T-H-E-A-T-E-R dot com for everything you want to know of uh, reviews involving Broadway, off-Broadway, off-off-Broadway, regional theater, and shows from all over the world. Total Theater compiles all these reviews. So if you want to know uh, about the new Broadway show that opened, you want to see what a critic thought of it, or you're wondering about shows that are opening in Los Angeles or in Milwaukee, you go there, it's absolutely free. You just surf around. It's a lot of fun. You can also go to the What's New page to see recent reviews or, or reviews of shows that are still running, possibly in your neighborhood. TotalTheater.com and also a lot of articles about the theater. When people um, like Julie Andrews or Ellen Stewart of La Mama, you can read whole profiles of them. And again, it's all absolutely free. This program, Dave's Gone By, is also brought to you by Performing Arts Insider, the Bible of Broadway since 1944. Uh, this is a journal. It's a hard copy. You know, you actually read it like a magazine with pages, you know, a nice cool cover. You, um, if you have a real desire to know the inside information of Broadway, I mean, if a show is opening and you want to contact the playwright or, you, or the designers or the producer or the press people, the managers, if you want to know a little bit about the show, when it's opening, who's going to be in it, or how to contact the actors, all that little inside information is in Performing Arts Insider. Been doing it for decades and decades and doing it better than ever. For more information, go to performingartsinsider.com. And finally, this particular program is brought to you by Fancy Schmancy Balloons for all your party decorating needs in the tri-state area. Call Jeff Goodman, 516-797-3229. 516-797-3229. Jeff will make your party look Great. And it's not just, you know, it's called fancy schmancy balloons, but it's about centerpieces and balloon archways. And if you have a theme for your party, let's say you're doing a bar mitzvah and you love the New York Yankees, right? So it's all Yankee themes and the colors and the pinstripes all over the room and classy, you know, or they can do it with Star Wars, uh, Star Trek, Monopoly, whatever it is, and Broadwayopoly. Uh, for, for kids who love Broadway or, or whatever your theme is, Jeff can make your party look great. And if you don't know how to put your party together, you don't have a caterer or you don't have music or anything like that, Jeff can hook you up with all the right people. So give 
Jeff a call. 797-3229, area code 516. In the tri-state New York area, fancy schmancy balloons. Shouldn't your party be a fancy schmancy one? Um, I wanted to also give a plug to a friend of mine, Rick Silverman, who is a teacher, a professor at the University of Northern Colorado. He's very, very much involved in this Greeley Holocaust Memorial uh, event that will be taking place April 26th through the 29th. And it's at UNC. There's also a bunch of other places that are taking part. There's going to be films at the Cress. Uh, there'll be some stuff up at Ames College, uh, things at the Far Library, all spread around Greeley as a memorial to the Holocaust. And it sounds some really interesting events. There's going to be photo displays at Michener Library. Uh, there's a, a movie they're going to be showing called A Film Unfinished, which is sounds horribly fascinating. The Nazis were making a documentary, a propaganda documentary, about life in the Warsaw Ghetto. And so they have extant film uh, footage of it. It was never finished. And so modern documentary makers took that and then made a documentary of their own. And it's apparently just really staggering to watch the Nazi propaganda film and see you know, these Jewish and, and other kinds of prisoners having to put up with this fake idea of how life is really pleasant in the Warsaw Ghetto. This is just amazing stuff. Uh, there's also another film about anti-Nazi heroine Sophie Scholl. There'll be a guest speaker who has witnessed Kristallnacht. Check it all out. The, uh, the place to go is aims.edu forward slash holocaust. Ames, A-I-M-S dot E-D-U forward slash holocaust. And that's taking place again April 26th through the 29th all around Greeley, Colorado. So best of luck to Rick Silverman on that. And a little bit more business, just letting you know that this radio station, among their sponsors are the Marquee, Marquee Magazine, an independent Colorado magazine that covers the regional live music scene in print and online, has the region's most thorough concert calendar because it's designed by music freaks, uh, excuse me, for music freaks, by music freaks. Well, there you go. More information, M-A-R-Q-U-E-E mag.com, markymag.com. UNC Radio is also brought to you by Aspen Leaf Frozen Yogurt. Have you tried them yet? Um, get your butt down there now and pick up a, pick a flavor. It's really great. You get this, um, the cup, and they charge you by weight, so you can take as much or as little as you want, and they've got so many toppings. It's delicious, from fresh mango and other kinds of fruits, of course, to chocolate chips and nuts and uh, crushed Oreo cookie, and you can put it on six or seven or eight different kinds of yogurt, maybe more. Frozen yogurt, it's real good. I've been there. Tell them UNC Radio sent you at Aspen Leaf Frozen Yogurt down on 17th Street. Every night at Whiskey River, it's 18 and over. Although Friday night is wing night at the river, there's an $8 cover charge, but only $6 if you have your UNC student ID, and the wings are provided by Wing Shack. Uh, let's see. Do I have anything else? Is there another concert? Yes, there's always another concert. Saturday, April 9th, today, it's Air Dubai with Bovine Green, Bones Maroney, the Squid Kids, love that name, and Pursuit. They're all at the Atlas Theater in Greeley, Colorado, right on 16th Street. All ages admitted, and tickets are only 5 bucks in advance and $10 at the door. So do check that out. And, oh, it's a benefit concert 
for Children's Miracle Network. So that's kind of nice. Happy to, uh, to help with that. Have I done... You know, I, I purposely, I broke the ads in half this week. I thought, okay, because it, it was getting on like seven or eight or ten minutes to do all the advertising for both my show and for the station. So I did some of them earlier in the show, and I, I broke up in half to do more now. And it's still taking forever. Bill Maher, tonight at the Mackey Auditorium, uh, AEGlive.com, for tickets to see the, the really, really brilliant comedian Bill Maher. And Saturday, April 9th, also, who's playing Switch... What? What is it? Switchfire. I can't even read this. Oh, no, that's the productions of the... Somebody is presenting Alt... Oh, the hell with... Where is it? AFRAs. Go to AFRAs tonight, Saturday, April 9th, if you're not doing the Bill Maher thing or or the other concert for the, the Children's Miracle Network. They're doing something with bands that I can't read. Okay. Oh, and one more. Textbook Brokers, the new low-price leader on new and used textbooks for University of Northern Colorado. They're on 17th Street, right near the Aspen Leaf and near Chipotle. Rent or buy your textbooks for less. No student ID needed. You can also sell your books there. Uh, They can work with your financial aid, and they get your books for you. Quick and personal service. Textbook Brokers, tell them UNC Radio sent you. I'm throwing this binder across the room. That's enough of that. (sighs) 12.19 12.19 in the afternoon. We've got some Bob Dylan to play. And, um, you know, the, the Masters are going on, the Golf Masters this week. And it occurred to me, well, Bob Dylan sure has a lot of songs with either master in the title or master somewhere in the lyrics. So let's hear a few of them, beginning with, from uh, his second greatest hits album, Bob Dylan, When I Paint My Masterpiece. The streets of Rome are filled with rubble, aged footprints are everywhere. You can almost think that you're seeing double on a cold, dark night on the Spanish stairs. Got the hood. Got me a date with Botticelli's niece Yup, she promised that she'd be right there with me But I paid my masterpiece Oh, the hour Inside the Coliseum Dodging lions And wasting time For oh, those mighty kings of the jungle I could hardly stand to see them Yes, it sure has been a long hard climb Train reels running through the back of my memory As the daylight hours do increase Someday 
of your masters who war You that build all the guns You that build the death planes You that build the big bombs You that hide behind walls You that hide behind desks I just want you to know I can see through your masks You that never have done nothing But build to destroy You play with my world Like it's your little toy You put a gun in my hand And you hide from my eyes And you turn and run farther when the fast bullets fly Like Judas of old You lie and deceive A world war can be won You want me to believe But I see through your eyes And I see through your brain Like I see through the water that runs down my drain You fasten the triggers For the others to fire Then you sit back and watch When the death count gets higher You hide in your mansion There's young people's blood Blows out of their bodies and is buried in the mud You've thrown the worst fear That can ever be hurled Fear to bring children Into the world Full threatening my baby Unborn and unnamed You ain't worth the blood that runs in your veins How much do I know To talk out of turn You might say that I'm young You might say I'm unlearned But there's the one thing I know Though I'm younger than you But even Jesus would never forgive what you do Let me ask you one question Is your money that good? Will it buy your forgiveness? Do you think that it could? I think you will find When your death takes its toll All the money you made will never buy back your soul And I hope that you die And your death will come soon I'll follow your casket By the pale afternoon And I'll watch while you lord Down to your deathbed And I'll stand over your grave Till I'm sure that you're dead
In the time of my confession In the hour of my deepest need When the pool of tears beneath my feet Flood every newborn seed There's a dying voice within me Reaching out somewhere Toiling in the danger Master's hand in every leaf that trembles, in every grain of sand, or the flowers of indulgence and the weeds of yesteryear, like criminals, they have choked the breath of conscience in good cheer. The sun be down upon the steps of time to light the way to ease the pain of idleness and the memory of decay. I gaze into the doorway of temptation's angry flame, and every time I pass that way. Bye. 
and the sorrow of the night in the violence of a summer's dream in the chill of a wintry light then the bitter dance of loneliness fading into space in the broken mirror of innocence on each forgotten I hear the aging footsteps Like the motion of the sea Sometimes I turn, there's someone there Other times it's only me I am hanging in the balance Of the reality of man Like every sparrow falling like every grain of Dylan classic there, Every Grain of Sand from the Shock of Love album. We were, well, we were or have been playing songs by Dylan that have the word master somehow involved in them. And there's there's quite a few. If you go to bobdylan.com and you can do that word search thing where you type in the word and it will show you every song where the word is either in the title or in the song. They've got well over a dozen and I wish I could play more of them. Certainly, uh, I've been playing It's All Right, Ma, I'm Only Bleeding. I've, I've done that once or twice already on Bob Dylan sooner and later. So I figured I wouldn't play it today, but we all know the lyric there, the masters make the rules for the wise men and the fools. And there were a few other songs that I didn't even realize off the top of my head that had it in there, including uh, Tonight I'll Be Staying Here With You about the station master, you know, and uh, there's the master key and Up To Me. But the songs that we did play in this edition of Bob Dylan Sooner and Later, included uh, When I Paint My Masterpiece from Greatest Hits Volume 2, get it, Masterpiece. Then uh, a song called Lone Pilgrim, which I don't believe he wrote. I think it's one of the traditional songs on World Gone Wrong. And the lyric in there is, The call of my master compelled me from home. Then we heard Masters of War. That's the original bootleg series version there of the song. And kind of cool. There's a show that I listen to pretty much every week called Sound Opinions. It's one of those NPR 
kind of programs, and they uh, talk about the current music scene, mostly rock and roll, and, and uh, they spend part of the show interviewing somebody, and then they also review records, and they have a Desert Island disc. And then just last week, they spent half the episode talking about Bob Dylan as kind of a ramp up towards Dylan's 70th birthday, which is coming up in May. And so they talked about Dylan's early years, and both of them, unlike me, who pretty much fell in love with Dylan in my teens, and just, you know, as soon as I got into him, I was into him in a big way for uh, the two guys who do sound opinions on the radio, Jim DeRogatis and, uh, oh, I forget the other fellow's name, I'm sorry. But they weren't, you know, they weren't convinced about Bob Dylan. It took them a long while to, to appreciate him and understand him. But one of the songs that got one of them into Dylan in a strong way was Masters of War, and they played that. And they said just what, what a powerful piece of writing and songwriting that that is. So we played... Masters of War here on Dave's Gone By in the Bob Dylan Sooner and Later set. And what else did we play? Uh, Positively Fourth Street, of course, from uh, the First Greatest Hits collection, where uh, if I was a master thief, perhaps I'd rob them. And the live version of Slow Train from Dylan and the Dead that has the lyric, Masters of the Bluff and Masters of the Proposition. And we closed the Dylan set with every grain of sand with that, that extraordinary line, in the fury of the moment, I can see the master's hand. Wow. Dylan, sooner and later, we try and do it every single week here on Dave's Gone By. We don't have that much time left, but hey, you know, we cannot do an episode these days without a visit from our good friend, the man who was on the very first episode of this show in 2002, He's uh, the spiritual leader of Temple Sons of Bitches in Great Neck, New York. It is, of course, Rabbi Saul Solomon, and he wants to weigh in on news involving a big fish. I will let him explain it anon. Shalom, damn it! This is Rabbi Saul Solomon with a rabbinical reflection for the week of April 10th, 2011. If I go to a pet store and bring home a poisonous rattlesnake, at some point, if I make one little boo-boo, I'm dead. I could feed it a thousand times with no problem, but there's going to be one time that I'm dangling a tasty mouse in front of the snake. The mouse wriggles away, I instinctively grab for it, and my hand goes into the terrarium. Before you can say Moshe Rabbeinu, a pair of venomous fangs will sink into my knuckles, at which point my hand will swell up bigger than Jay Wow's boobies and my blood would be so contaminated you'd think I'd gotten a plasma transfusion from Rip Torn. Is there a moral to this story? Yes. This is why we don't bring home poisonous snakes. But... Tell that to the yutzes who keep snakes and lizards and tarantulas and have no problem until the day they have to evacuate the whole apartment complex because a cobra is on the loose. Much as I sympathize with the agony Roy Horn must have felt when they were reattaching his face, I still would have shouted into his reconstructed ear, It's a tiger! 
that thing with stripes on it and razor-sharp claws. It's not a goldfish. It's not a puppy, you moron. It's a tiger. It's a man-eating tiger. Now, I know you've been eaten by men before, but this is different. And so we come to the story of Dong Brangshou, a pretty athletic young girl who was a trainer at SeaWorld in Florida. In February 2010, she was doing her usual act with Tiller Come the Whale. You know, roll over, jump for the fish, ride on your back, thrash me underwater until my lungs explode. That kind of thing. As you may recall, Dong Brang Show slipped in the water, and Tiller Come went into a frenzy. By the time he was done, Dong was dead. Shocking and horrifying for the spectators, public relations nightmare for SeaWorld. After all, if it weren't for putting wild things in captivity and making them perform like Dumbo, SeaWorld would just be a fish tank with a gift shop. So what do they do? Despite the fact that Tillicum drowned one trainer and was involved in the deaths of two previous trainers, they not only put the whale back into public view, but on stage. As of last week, Tillicum was again flipping, rolling, dancing, doing magic tricks, and reciting passages from Othello. Oh, sure. New safety measures have been put in place. Like, trainers can't wear ponytails anymore. Which, I know, makes all the difference. But how many people does this demon dolphin have to murder before SeaWorld thinks, you know, maybe we should have a laser show instead? I mean, the name of this mammal is Orca, Killer Whale. This stupid fish has a reputation so violent they put killer in its name. Nobody says the depressed and vaguely poetic whale, or come see the mathematically gifted and hilariously flatulent whale, no. It's a killer whale. It kills. It kills trainers. If it had a rifle with a telescoping lens, it would kill presidents. And you can say, oh, they've worked with Tillicum. He's had a year's hiatus from performing. He's been in confinement. He's been punished. Let me tell you what he's been doing for a year. That fish has been lifting weights, making weapons out of mackerel bones. He probably joined the Marlin Brotherhood. We should not be trusting this animal, no matter what precautions they think they're taking. Look at Jaws. Scary, wonderful movie, but there's one piece of logic that you have to check at the door when you see it. If you don't go in the water, you're fine. You could dance a jig ten feet from the shoreline. All the shark can do is growl at you and give you the middle fin. Now, granted, the shark had to be dealt with because fishermen, cruises, coast guard patrols need to be in the water. But... Nobody needs to see a fish twirl a basketball. It is a non-essential activity. And so, here's my recommendation if we really want Tillicum to be a productive member of society. Take him to Japan and let the whalers have Adam. It'll be a fair fight, and if he loses, you get to feed a million homeless earthquake victims on blubber. As for SeaWorld, well... You take a frog, you put him in a dress, and you make him jump through a hoop. Hours of entertainment, and nobody gets hurt. This has been a rabbinical reflection from Rabbi Saul Solomon, Temple Sons of Bitches, in Great Neck, New York. Ribbit.
Thank you. For my first encore, I'd like to turn to a type of song. <laughs> the type of song that people like myself find ourselves subjected to with increasing frequency as time goes on, and that is the college alma mater. You find yourself at a reunion of old grads and old undergrads, and... Uh, Somebody will start croaking out one of these things, and everyone will gradually join in, each in his own key, of course, <laughs> until the place is just soggy with nostalgia. Well, a typical such song might be called Bright College Days and might go like this. College days, oh carefree days that fly To thee we sing with our glasses raised on high <laughs> Let's drink a toast as each of us recalls Ivy-covered professors in ivy-covered halls Turn on the spigot, pour the beer and swig it and Gaudiama get a tour. <laughs> Here's two parties we tossed to the games that we lost. We shall claim that we won them someday. To the girls, young and sweet, to the spacious back seat of our roommates, beat up Chevrolet. <laughs> to the beer and Benzedrine, to the way that the dean tried so hard to be pals with us all. To excuses we fibbed, to the papers we cribbed, from the genius who lived down the hall. To the tables down at Maury's, wherever that may be. <laughs> Let us drink a toast to all we love the best. We will sleep through all the lectures and cheat on the exams, and we'll pass and be forgotten with the rest. Oh, soon we'll be out amid the cold world's strife. Soon we'll be sliding down the razor blade of life. Ready? <laughs> but as we go our sordid separate ways, we shall ne'er forget thee, thou golden college days. Hearts full of youth, hearts full of truth, six parts gin to one part vermouth. <laughs> there can only be one person. That's Tom Lehrer, of course, from The Remains of Tom Lehrer Collection. Um, bright college days, rather appropriate, for here at the University of Northern Colorado for the uh, closing minutes of Dave's Gone By on this April 9th, 2011. Very, very happy to have you with us. I would have loved, as I said earlier in the show, to have had Tom Lehrer with us. I called, I asked, I spoke to him, and as I said, he was gracious as all get out uh, while being hilarious and, and satirical too. But he said, no, nope, no, nope, sorry, not doing the interviews. Anything you want to know, it's on YouTube, it's on the internet, go find it. Um, you know, <laughs> and then let him have his 83rd birthday in peace. So the best way to celebrate Tom Lehrer's 83rd birthday is to play the wonderful songs, the crazy, the sick, the clever-as-anything songs 
um, Tom Lehrer. And so there were so many, I wish I had time to play more, but I do want to get one or two more in uh, before we close up shop here in the neighborhood. The, f- the first one that occurred to me is not only one of his funniest numbers, but one of his most appropriate considering everything that's going on in the world, everything especially happening in the Middle East, not to mention what's going on in Japan and that, that awful news uh, that I know perhaps the rabbi will, will chime in on next time that's going on now between Israel and Gaza, where uh, they bombed the school bus, now we're bombing back, and it's 1940, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 2000, all over again. Never, never, ever, ever really stops. And the only question we all ask is courtesy of Tom Lehrer, who's next? One of the big news items of the past year concerned the fact that China, which we call Red China, exploded a nuclear bomb, which we called a device. Then Indonesia announced that it was going to have one soon, and proliferation became the word of the day. Here's a song about that. First we got the bomb, and that was good, because we love peace and motherhood. Then Russia got the bomb, but that's okay, because the balance of power is maintained that way. Who's next? France got the bomb, but don't you grieve, because they're on our side, I believe. China got the bomb, but have no fears. They can't wipe us out for at least five years. Who's next? Uh, Then Indonesia claimed that they were going to get one any day. South Africa wants two, that's right, one for the black and one for the white. Who's next? Wants one in self-defense The Lord's our shepherd, says the psalm But just in case, we better get a bomb (laughs) Who's the next? Luxembourg is next to go And who knows, maybe Monaco We'll try to stay serene and calm When Alabama gets the bomb Who's next? Who's next? Who's next? Who's next? The one and only Tom Lehrer from the Remains of Tom Lehrer collection with Who's Next. I got one thing wrong. He wasn't teaching at Harvard. He graduated with an A.B. in mathematics magna cum laude from Harvard when he was 19 years old. Thank you, Wikipedia. He's taught at Harvard, MIT, and Wellesley, but he spent most of his teaching career uh, first at MIT, and then the University of California in Santa Cruz. So uh, all those lucky, lucky students to have this brilliant man. And one wonders if the past 25, 30 years, without asking their parents, if they even had any idea of just how special and amazing a brilliant writer Tom Lehrer is. Happy 83rd birthday, Tom. He was born in 1928 and uh, going strong. As I said, it was it was one of the great, Three minutes of my life being able to talk to him. And I do know that when I was a kid, um, this, this is going back 35, 40 odd years, we actually sent a letter to him, my family and I, to thank him back then 
for the amazing music. And he, I wish I knew where it was. We got a letter back from him signed, maybe with, with our autograph somewhere. I'd have to check. But, uh, you know, many, many more years, even if he never touches a piano again. Just health and enjoyment of life and numbers for Thomas Andrew Lehrer. Well, I'm David Neal Lefkowitz, but I call myself Dave because this program is Dave's Gone By. It's 104 in the afternoon on this April 9th, 2011. I want to thank everybody for listening to my show uh, you know, and, and tuning in every single week for the past now 350 episodes that we've done. Couldn't have done it without a bunch of really great people, including, I mentioned him before, Jeff Goodman, who was uh, my guest co-host for a couple of years doing the show back in New York. Also, my wonderful wife, Joyce, who just is, uh, you know, this great part of my life and, and uh, couldn't, couldn't imagine doing everything without her. So, uh, love you, hun. And thank you, of course, to the folks who made this particular episode really, um, really great. Kind of running out of words at 1 o'clock in the afternoon here. But Gabrielle Louise, of course, and check her tour schedule. And because she comes from Colorado, so I'm sure she'll be back in town quite soon, if not this month, then certainly next. Gabrielle Louise. And uh, let's see, do I have a, a website? Yes, G A B R E R I E, excuse me, L L E. So it's Gabrielle, but she pronounces it with a, that flat A, Gabrielle Louise. Dot com And also, of course, Pat Cooper. Uh, see him April 17th at the Smithtown Center for the Performing Arts on Long Island. Go to patcooper.com for all his stuff, his schedule. And by the way, thank you to Anthony Pomes of Square One Publishing for setting up that interview, which was not easy to do. He's a very in-demand comedian, you know, and, and certainly a guest on TV and radio. So to be able to get him on the show was a bit of a feather in my cap only because of Anthony's intercession and allowing us to be able to do that. And so Anthony's with Square One, which has published Pat Cooper's autobiography, How Dare You Say, How Dare Me, co-written with Steve Garin. So get a copy of it. It's, um, you know, if you've heard him on my show or if you saw my article in the Long Island Pulse this month that, that excerpts pieces of the Pat Cooper interview, um, you know that's a book worth reading. Well, what else? Oh, and thank you so much to Rabbi Saul Solomon for giving us his weekly rabbinical reflection. If you missed the past few reflections that he's done on this program, he's been doing it for about three months now, and the, the reaction has been marvelous because not only do they hear it on this show, but his audio clips go up on YouTube. You can see them there uh, just by going Googling or, or putting his name into the YouTube search, Rabbi Saul Solomon. And he has his own website, his blog site, of course, called shalomdammit.com. And that has the transcripts of all his rabbinical reflections as well as the audio clips um, so you can hear him as well as read him. So it's as um, Robert De Niro mentioned in uh, that new Fockers movie, Double Dose of Fokker, you can get a double dose of rabbi. <laughs> as if anybody wants that, but if you do, shalomdammit.com is the place to go. Davesgoneby.com is the place to find out more about this program and to hear all our past episodes, with the exception of less than half a dozen. Of the 350 shows that we have done, there are a couple that just could not be saved uh, audio-wise or they were lost or never properly recorded. But other than that, 
They are all there, and they're free. You can listen to them anytime. You can download them or stream on, stream them on your computer. Just go to the archive section, davesgongby.com. Also gives you the whole history of the program. If you're interested, you want to know the songs we play on this episode, you can also check our MySpace page. Go to myspace.com and uh, put in Dave's Gone By, and you'll see all the songs that we played on this episode. If you want to write to me, Dave's Gone By at AOL. Dot com. Dave's gone by at AOL.com. <sighs> I think that does our special, yeah, I think that tells you pretty much everything you need to know, except for the fact that we will not be on next week. Next Saturday, April 16th, Dave's Gone By is not going to have a, a show on because I will be in New York. I'm going to be feasting on theater and things to do, and then I'll come back the, the week after and tell you all about them on my show on April 23rd, and we'll try, have a, try to have a special guest for you on that episode as well. And so we usually go out of the neighborhood with a Waterboys song, but again, in honor of Tom Lehrer, I couldn't think of a better song to play to take us away from the neighborhood for, well, more than a week this time. So until we do our 351st episode, uh, about, what is it, 13 and a half days from now, Let's go back to Tom Lehrer telling us that we will all go together when we go. And I would certainly say, gone by. When you attend a funeral, it is sad to think that sooner or later those you love will do the same for you. And you may have thought it tragic, not to mention other adjectives to think of all the weeping they will do, but don't you worry. No more ashes, no more sackcloth, and an armband made of black cloth will someday never more adorn a sleeve. For if the bomb that drops on you gets your friends and neighbors too, There'll be nobody left behind to grieve And we will all go together when we go What a comforting fact that is to know Universal bereavement, an inspiring achievement Yes, we all will go together when we go We will all go together when we go All suffused with an incandescent glow No one will have the endurance to collect on his insurance. Lloyds of London will be loaded when they go. We will all fry together when we fry. We'll be French fried potatoes by and by. There will be no more misery when the world is our rotisserie. Yes, we all will fry together when we fry. Down by the old mail. There'll be a storm before the calm And we will all bake together when we bake There'll be nobody present at the wake With complete participation in that grand incineration Nearly three billion hunks of well-done steak Oh, we will all char together when we char And let there be no moaning of the bar. 
Just sing out a tedium when you see that ICBM and the party will be come as you are. We will all burn together when we burn. There'll be no need to stand and wait your turn. When it's time for the fallout and St. Peter calls us all out, we'll just drop our agendas and adjourn. You will all go directly to your respective Valhallas. Go directly, do not pass, go, do not collect $200. And we will all go together when we go. Every Hottentot and every Eskimo. When the air becomes Uranus, we will all go simultaneous. Yes, we all will go together when we all go together. Yes, we all will go together when we go. Thank you.